five. Episode number 31 of the Retro Wrestling Podcast. I'm intern Alex, joined as always by the one and only, the greatest referee in professional wrestling history, Patrick Young. And Patrick, we took a week off. How did you enjoy your vacation? Did a wrestling show, so that's what about did it, you, man. What did you do? I traveled and did a show and uh, trained some kids and had a blast. Did my thing, so yeah. yeah. Had to watch Spring Stampede 99. Exactly. And one so. of the greatest pay-per-views out there. Oh. Are you sure you watched it? Did we watch Did we you watch the same one? one? We watched the sure? same one. Okay. Well, Patrick, what has been happening in the world of pro wrestling the last couple of weeks? Well, first of all, let's just catch up. I, I did my thing on our week off. What did you do? Did you have a good weekend? Did you go do your... I went to UFC 108 Fight Night, Fight Night 108 in Nashville, Tennessee. Real job. I was able to obtain press credentials, so I got to go into the media room. Uh, I thank the UFC greatly for giving me those press credentials. For this Fight Night card, there was not a lot of pomp and circumstance as far as availability of the fighters to the media. They didn't do a ceremonial weigh-in. They didn't do a post-fight press conference. So basically what this press room was, or I mean, there are different levels of media access that the UFC will give you. So, you know, their television partners like Fox, the Fight Network in Canada, they're going to be able to get the best media coverage so they can actually get like ringside seats, you know, with the rest of the media or ESPN. People like big players in media can, can get good access. But since I am just intern Alex from Hits 96 Radio or whatever, I was given access to this press room, which was not like a press box overlooking the venue, because that would be that would be okay. Instead, it's a room like down on the floor level, like underneath all the stands. There's an empty podium, and there's a big like banner with like the name of the event and stuff, so it looks so you can get like photo ops, I guess. They serve you dinner, which I did not eat because I just, uh, we had had a late lunch that day, so I didn't take part. But the food looked lovely. The, this room was pretty depressing because there was only like four or five other reporters from like major MMA websites like uh, Sure Dog and like MMA Junkie and stuff like that were there. The fight night card starts and like there's a monitor in there and so you can basically watch the fight on the monitor and then the winner eventually when he clears medicals after the fight, he will come in there and answer four or five questions and then he they'll skirt him right off again and so when i was in there well one thing i failed to do was bring like microphone equipment because i thought i was going to be able to just hold my phone right up to him because i didn't know how they did these things so i didn't bring a microphone so i didn't have a microphone on the podium my audio like and i didn't want to leave my phone up there because mike's cell phones and microphones sometimes it picks up like interference and i didn't want to mess with any of like these professional mma reporters right, stuff. Right. they would bring the fighter in and then i would just stand there in the back and i thought about asking questions but the questions were so focused on how was it out there who do you want next what do you think you could do differently do you want a shot at the title it was all like generic questioning and i didn't want those kinds of questions i wanted to be like what's your favorite movie and stuff like that and I didn't feel comfortable asking that stuff because they were just in a hurry to get out of there. And right. so uh, it was pretty cool uh, to see the fighters up close like that. But I'd actually I'd go out to our seats. We had really I bought a ticket to the show, too. So I had 
we were like seventh row on the floor. And so nice. I would, yeah, I would go out and actually watch the fights from my seat and then walk back to the press room and see the fighter come in when the next fight starts and then just repeat that three or four fights. And then like when, when the main card actually started, I was like, okay, I'm just going to sit out there and watch it the rest of the night because I just don't, I'm not, I'm not getting what I want out of this so i'm just gonna go out there and watch from my seat or whatever but there's also as a member of the media too like you're not supposed to show any favoritism to anybody and since i'm wearing this press badge so from my seat i didn't want to like clap for anybody so i was like the one guy in the seats that was just like just sitting there just like watching because if someone had seen my press pass and like seen me like cheering for somebody or something i was afraid they were going to be like oh he's bought he's not coming back because they can revoke future credentialing or whatever if there's ever i mean i not not that i think i'll ever go back i don't know that there's really much for me to do there but uh so yeah i would just it, the fights were, were pretty good there were some there were some pretty vicious knockouts on it uh, jake ellenberger took an elbow to the face that he remained down on the mat for several minutes and it was quite scary but he eventually got up and was okay. One guy, the opening fight, Hector Sandoval knocked out a guy with hammer fists, which is really weird uh, to see that occur in the octagon at this level. Oh, Diego Sanchez got uh, knocked out by Al Iaquinta, who then got on Twitter and ranted on about not getting the the knockout of the night bonus or whatever because his pay was only fifty grand and so he scores this knockout and he thinks I'm going to get a bonus didn't get a bonus so and fifty grand for the fighters after they have to pay for their own camp and everything so after they pay all their trainers and their physicians and everything fifty grand is not very good for no take home pay no. at the end of the day it's a you have to really love fighting to be. A UFC fighter. If you're not a big, if you're not a big star, if you're not a big success like me and you, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, where you can make, you know, uh, two hundred and fifty grand it, just for showing up, not even for well, winning. That's my, so. that's you know, that's my pay out the door to begin with. You know, they give you big bags of money. Yeah, like the million dollar man. Yeah. So I'm I'm a cor- I'm the quarter. You're the quarter million dollar man. Yeah, exactly. That's a that's a good indie gimmick. I think. There you go. So that's what I did during our week-long hiatus but uh what do you bring us from the world of pro wrestling oh well the world of pro wrestling unfortunately um we have lost a wrestler oh yes uh the wrestler known to wwe fans is rosie yes matt annoy and oahi and oahi sorry Yes. Those Samoan names are difficult to pronounce. Roman uh, Reigns' brother. Yes. His older brother. Probably complications of his heavy size. Uh, these Samoans are genetically predispositioned to diabetes and also weight gain. I mean, yeah. we've seen that with Yokozuna, Umaga, all these big Samoan guys. Yeah. So, yeah, just another case of where, you know, genetics and lifestyle and... It's sad because he was so young, but at the same time, at least it wasn't like most pro wrestler deaths where it's like drug related or yeah, like Yeah, it wasn't he uh it was just natural causes to my knowledge. It wasn't anything in regards to drugs or seemed to be a great guy. I don't know much about him, so I hate to uh uh do hate that he unfortunately has passed. Um what upset me the most about his passing is how we brought this up on the show before, how they incorporate real-life deaths into storylines, 
and on Raw, yeah. the last Raw before Payback, Roman Reigns was still held off TV. He worked the house shows over the weekend, but he was held off TV selling the uh, ambulance attack from Braun Strowman. But he released a statement, in quotation marks, uh, which was probably written by WWE writers. Oh, man, this has just been a terrible few weeks. I've never, you know, I lost my only blood brother, but I've also never suffered a beating like I suffered at the hands of Braun Strowman. Oh. He actually compared, or the writers actually used this. man. That's really low class, and I mean... I agree. Even if Roman Reigns and his family signed off on this statement or whatever, it's like to even categorize a pro wrestling angle with a real life death is is pretty, That's pretty low class. Yeah. I'm surprised it actually didn't get that much attention, but then again, Raw was really bad, so a lot of people probably did not watch. Um, we, we were going to talk about this. So Raw was bad. Yes, and SmackDown was as well. I, there was no interest for me in at all to have watched the past few weeks, so I haven't. Uh, you haven't missed anything. Not a damn thing. Because this payback is one of the most jumbled, confusing, relatively small card. I mean, only like seven or eight matches announced for this thing. Yeah. If this was the traditional pay-per-view model where people had to spend money and make a decision to buy this thing it wouldn't do well well it wouldn't have been booked this way to begin with because yeah yeah, no one's gonna buy this no i'm not gonna go out of my way i already pay the ten dollars for the network so i might go back and watch clips from it but this thing has no heat going into it they call it the post wrestlemania hangover every year when we get out of wrestlemania and that's the season finale so to speak to pro wrestling if there is one to the wwe storylines yeah is wrestlemania is the culmination of a year basically yeah. and so when you culminate everything in a you know with a year long thing of course it's going to take some time to get things going again but then with this year when they had one one episode of raw before the superstar shakeup and an episode of smackdown before the shakeup they started storylines with people and then they had to instantly scrap all those storylines or change them and modify them because now the guys are on different shows. And so that meant Jericho, who's tonight going to wrestle Kevin Owens, didn't get to work with him on, on Raw because Kevin Owens is a SmackDown guy now. Jericho's just wrestling random matches on Raw and just it you almost forget that this match is even happening. Yeah, the same with Bray and Randy. Yeah, that's not even a title match tonight. The House of Horrors match isn't even for the belt. What is a House of Horrors match? They don't even know. We will find out in about two hours because we're taping this on Sunday night. We are. They sent out a survey to fans asking, what would you like to see in a House of Horrors match? That tells me you don't even know what it is. You think the name's good, and so we're just going to build something around it. Well, I think these writers didn't know where that Bray was going to move. So oh, I don't think I think that it's kind of like our last show we, in two weeks ago that we did when you were like, "Oh, Vince just woke up and decided, screw it, I want to put this guy here and that guy there. Let's do it, and we're going to call it a shakeup instead of a draft." I think that's really what happened, and now everybody's trying to clamor to make sense of it all. So I think with this House of Horrors idea, the SmackDown writers thought so we got six to eight weeks or whatever it is to build this thing for backlash. We'll figure it out when we get there. Instead, you know, Bray goes to Raw. Now it's on a Raw pay-per-view, which is happening in, like, four weeks. So they've cut their time, and now they're scrambling. And, now, and yeah, Bray Wyatt can't work with Randy because Randy's on SmackDown. And so he has to show up on the Titantron and say spooky things. Meanwhile, Randy's got a number one contender already lined up. He's already thinking about, you know, the next match. Right. So the wrestlers themselves, and 
Bray Wyatt, when he debuted on Raw, teased something with Finn Balor. Both of these guys have already moved on on television from this match. Yeah. So how am I supposed to be invested as a viewer, you know, as a fan of wrestling? How am I supposed to be invested in this when the wrestlers themselves are always already like, ah, well, I don't really know about this match, this house. Randy Orton even came out on a couple episodes of SmackDown, and the first thing he says into the mic is, I don't know what a House of Horrors match is, but I guess I'm going to find out. Well, gee, way to sell it, Randy. That makes me want to tune in. Yeah, but he's already building to the Jinder Mahal match at Backlash. So, yeah, this is just botched. This is, I dare say, it may not end up being a worse show than December to Dismember by ECW in 2006, but... Oh, that was a good show. Oh, yeah, great show. But as far as... I actually would have had more interest in December to Dismember than I do in this card because this card, Payback, doesn't even have a world title match. Not that the world title always has to be the main event. I think Braun and Braun and Bray should be the main event because without Braun Strowman, there is nothing going on in this entire right WWE landscape right now without him. So that should be the main event. But Braun and uh, and. Oh, Braun and Reigns. Um, Reigns. Yeah, sorry. Okay, so I'm going with Braun Strowman. We're showing their picks right here now. I think that they're going to have Reigns still beat him, even though they shouldn't. Okay. We'll, do, we'll do our picks real quick right now before people say we're... Yeah, I'm going to take Roman Reigns because... Okay. I got Bray Wyatt over Randy Orton. I don't think it matters. <laughs> That's the problem with this. I don't think it matters, but I guess I'm going to have to take Bray Wyatt because if, they, if you want to create a gimmick match for a character... Like, like they did with the casket with Taker or and buried, buried alive. alive with Taker and then He's gotta win the first one, right? Right. So I'm yeah, that I'll take Bray Wyatt for no reason. I mean Okay. What's other matches? Oh, Owens, Jericho. I got uh I got Owens. I think Jericho might win it and drop it on if if Jericho wins, the stipulation is he has to be a SmackDown star, which he'll be for a week until he goes on tour with Fozzie. So I think he could win and then drop it right back to Kevin Owens on SmackDown. Okay, so you think Jericho? Yeah, I'll take Jericho. I got Owens. All right, what's the other matches? (laughs) The other matches are Samoa Joe and Seth Rollins, which this is Joe's. Well, this is Joe's first pay per view match, right? Damn, dude, really? They're gonna have him lose? No, I think Samoa Joe should win, so I'm gonna take Samoa Joe. I got Rollins. Damn, we're splitting like crazy. Okay, go on. The Hardy Boys should retain against Cesaro and Sheamus. Yeah, I got Hardys. Bailey versus Alexa Bliss. This is interesting because tonight's pay per view is in San Jose, which is Bailey's hometown. And we know how hometowns have been treating pay per view wrestlers lately. They usually lose in their hometown. Right. So I'm going to, and I think Bailey has, uh, her characters become very flat as far as they're riding for it. And I think Alexa Bliss should win here. So I'm going to take Alexa Bliss. Yeah, I'm going to go with you. I'm going with Alexa Bliss as well. So sorry, Bailey. And Neville will take on Austin Aries in a cruiserweight championship match. And nobody gives a shit because everybody's sleeping through this match. I'm just going to have to go with you. This might be match of the night, though. I don't think it will be. If it is, I'll be really shocked. Uh, I think Neville should retain here. I got Neville, too. And we have one result in from the pay-per-view already. Enzo and Big Cass defeated the club in 635 on the KFC Golden Chicken Mountain Dew pre-show. So there you go. KFC Golden Chicken Mountain Dew. Whatever it is. You know, it's it's always those two. It's always Mountain Dew and KFC. That That is brilliant right there. 
And we've got our second result in. Chris Jericho defeated Kevin Owens. So oh, I'm already up. Was wrong. I'm already up one of you. Damn. One, I'm already up one on you. In 1754, Kevin Owens tapped out to the Lion Tamer. Oh, that's not good. Well, Kevin Owens, the new face of America, goes down. But I, he, I think he'll be regaining this title very quickly. Because well, AJ Styles is the number one contender for the U.S. title. And Jericho's going to be gone by then. Yeah. So. Speaking of trouble, seeing as how this pay-per-view is having a lot of trouble, just getting fans and interested in it, John Cena is quite upset. About what? What could be wrong he in John thought, Cena's life? He thought that the WrestleMania angle with the proposal and all that was a little too personal. Well, of course. And when he refused to do it, when he said he wasn't going to do it, basically, Nikki was like, well, this is why I want my, you know, this is my only way of having a WrestleMania moment. So that's why he mentioned in the ring, you wanted your WrestleMania moment. Here it is. He was rather pissed about having to do this in oh, front yes. of the entire audience. And well, crowd he had done a promo on SmackDown a few weeks before that said, do you think I'm booking this? I want to be wrestling The Undertaker. Yeah. <laughs> so he even expressed on the mic that, you know, if it was up to him, it'd be different. But if your fiance wants a WrestleMania match with you as her tag team partner, you're going to say, okay. Whether you're John Cena or anybody else, that's just the way it's going to be, pal. So, uh, so yeah. And also, being the company guy that he is, Total Divas, you know, like I said, their ratings have gone down season to season. And so with, the, with uh, Bree's baby and Nikki's marriage, they've got two seasons worth of material right there. Well, and so they- he keeps... He, being the company man that he is, he sees that this is good for the company too. Yeah. So they also see that um, they're getting some flack for cutting any and all material involving Paige. On, well, they've left a lot of it in on Total Divas. They're cutting quite a bit of her stuff, and that has made Alberto Del Rio quite angry, aggravated. And anyway, long story short, he's upset as well. Well, they definitely probably try to cut around him since he's no longer with the company. Right. And so, and because she's she's getting to where basically she's going to be released. I don't see her career lasting much longer with WWE. No, I don't think she wants to work there anymore. Even though they've already made a movie. Yeah, The Rock filmed part of a movie in, in a WWE ring about two months ago. About her family. About her personal life and her family and and it's you know, and about her career itself. It's gonna be the first, you know uh, what do you do? Do you scrap that? I don't think it's a WWE Studios project. I think it's Rock's production company, so I think that that's gonna go ahead. They won't be promoting it in any way, and I mean they're gonna just like they do when anyone else leaves the company, they're just gonna totally erase her from So you think it is it's not a WWE film, it's a yeah, I'm pretty sure it's actually Rock's production company and some other producer. I mean, they allowed him to shoot in the ring because, I mean, he's the Rock. You have to keep him happy. If right. he says he wants to shoot a movie in your ring... You let him do it. Yeah. yeah. So, I don't think they actually are producing this film. I think The Rock, because he comes from a wrestling family, is enamored with wrestling families and so wanted to produce this documentary about a lesser-known wrestling family, which is the... This, the Beavis wrestling family, I guess, um, from England. So right. this is a, his his movie about it. So I think that's going to go on. But I, you know, if she was still with the company, the company would definitely want to, you know, because they're always clinging. They always want mainstream media attention. 
Yeah. And so if she was still with the company and this movie was coming out, oh, man, you know, they'd be all over it. But she doesn't want to work for them anymore. So you'll you'll see any records that she holds, any kind of, that'll all, they'll just have the women's champs, you know, surpass that or whatever, or all that. She's just going to be erased from from history. Yeah. Sounds like somebody else I knew. So. <laughs> well, I don't think it's going to be that level of erasing. But, but uh, all right. Uh, rumors are that Oksana is going to be the new client of Paul Heyman. Asuka, yeah. Asuka. Sorry, not Oksana. Well. Asuka. Based on how they booked Nakamura on SmackDown, they don't... And this has been a problem with the company for years. When a wrestler doesn't speak English as their first and primary language... Yeah. They throw their hands up and say, we don't know what to do. Despite Asuka and Nakamura being two of the most engaging personalities, well, they don't have to speak. You no. know, when they come out, they command attention. Right. But how they booked Nakamura on Tuesday. Well, Renee introduces him. He comes out. She puts the mic up to him. He's about to speak. Cut off by Dolph Ziggler. Dolph Ziggler then comes in and cuts a promo saying that... Shinsuke Nakamura is the reincarnation of Michael Jackson and goes through Michael Jackson's complete family history. Like, this man grew up in Gary, Indiana. And this man, his best friend is a monkey bubble. It was terrible. It was one of the worst things. <laughs> really? Because no one would... Nobody give a shit. And this is supposed to be an insult, too. If someone calls me the Michael Jackson of pro wrestling, I I take that as his stage, you know, presence. Yeah. That's a compliment. Right. But anyway, it, it went on for, like, ten minutes. And... So then Nakamura eventually takes the mic and says a few things and kicks him or whatever, but they don't know what to do. They don't believe in, like, pre-tapes. All they could do, like when Lesnar, Lesnar doesn't speak when he's in the ring. Heyman does the speaking. But then when there's a big match coming up, they do those pre-tapes with Brock, and he he sits down and speaks in pre-taped montage. He's much better in that situation. And that's, that's all they need to do with these Japanese stars is have them tape stuff, subtitle it, be done with it. It doesn't lose anything. Yeah. You don't have to have them in the ring talking for 10 minutes. Yeah. But they have forgotten that. And so if they really do pair her with Paul Heyman, that would be great. But then, you know, you worry about when he's not there. I mean, when he when she doesn't have a mouthpiece with her, when they don't have mouthpieces, ooh, hope you guys can figure something out because I feel like it would be a way of working Heyman back into being on on TV every week. Yeah, that would be good and it would also be and it would be a way for you get the relevance and the aspect of Heyman without always having to have Lesnar. Right, yeah. And that he does that, a lot of the work for Lesnar. I think that's what's missing in wrestling is more of Heyman's the mouthpiece of Paul Heyman. To or fire, people to, like him, too. Well, I'm just saying to fire fans up, to get fans, you know, because you don't have that kind of people in, in wrestling anymore. No. No, and I think it, it's especially useful when, like I say, English isn't their first language. This goes for uh, luchadors, too. Yeah. A lot of the cruiserweights are that way. If they can't talk, figure out a way to make it work without them talking. Don't say, don't... Just anticipate, oh, if we just keep giving him the mic week after week, he'll get better. Because some people just won't get better. Yeah. They just can't help it. Don't ruin it for him before he, you know, even gets started. And if he spoke English well, what they would do is make him a heel. And because, you know, heels only speak, they speak in their foreign language. Because right now they've got Kevin Owens, uh, Kevin Owens speaks in French and Jinder Mahal speaks in Farsi. 
But they but they're both Canadian and speak perfectly fine English. But when they when they turn their heel up or whatever, then they speak. Oh, f- foreigner! I hate the evil foreigner stereotype now. Really. It's an old school thing, and it's it is. it's fine to go back and watch shows like uh, that Starcade with the Russians and stuff yeah. because that was also still relevant then. I mean, the Berlin Wall still hadn't fallen, but you know, I think we're a more global landscape now, and so I just right. don't think it it hits as hard. And so I just the Ginger Mahal, evil foreigner, Kevin Owens, face of America, Canada and America. You know, can you do better than Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels? I don't think so. Yeah, I just you well, know yeah. figure something out, guys. Pull it together. They don't seem to think so. Ricky Steamboat. That's all I'm saying. Where is he from originally? Well, he's actually American, but still, that's beside the point. <laughs> yeah, his you heritage, can have an American. His heritage is Japan. Or, or like so. Yokozuna, well, yeah. he, which was a Samoan playing a Japanese. Right. You're, you're missing the subtitle point here. Just saying. That is weird. That's a very weird thing that you've... Or like, uh, which one is... Oh, Smash. Smash playing the Russian. The redneck oh, Russian yeah, guy. Yeah. Like, yeah, if yeah. you're white, you can play foreign or whatever. Yeah. Or... Yeah. Nikita uh, Kolov, you know, he can be a face Russian, you know, like two uh two weeks ago, right after our show, our last show was recorded, we uh I came across this. Most people have talked about this. We, however, have not, so I'm still going to go ahead and talk about it cuz it is newsworthy. Booker T comes out and makes a on a radio show and makes a argument in offense in the defense, I mean, of uh, of JBL, and I agree, one hundred percent. What did he say that you agree with? He says that once you graduate school, there's no such thing as bullies. No, I think that's when bullying actually starts. Is when you get into the workplace and into the look. I had a bully when we worked at an auto parts warehouse, Patrick. There was a bully I worked with there before you got there. Yeah, it exists. I was going to say there. it wasn't me. I know. It no, wasn't. no, no. It was. It was just an asshole. I mean, people are just assholes. So yeah. this is someone that still works for the company. He's going to tow the company line. You know, like any. If you have never had any interactions with, I mean, Booker T has probably faced. You know. As an African-American in pro wrestling and in, in life in general in America has probably faced racism, you know. And A lot more than most, probably, yes. Yeah, and so I'm sure someone's called, you know, Booker the N-word, you know, that was not saying it to be jovial. And so, or he's called the for Hogan, Booker to you know. say that bullying, do- and also this is a man that's running for mayor, he shouldn't be saying that because he, of all people, knows that, yes, bullying does exist. When you get into the uh, when you get into adulthood, he he came to uh, you know, and he says Ronaldo. He goes the fans. More Ronaldo. Ronaldo is uh, the the fans are are making a uh, a mountain out of a molehill. Pretty much in regards to that, Ronaldo hasn't he hasn't come out and said anything. Well, he's parted ways with the company. They've they've settled up, and, and he so. had to issue a statement that said JBL didn't bully me. And then JBL had to put out a statement to say, I didn't bully people. And then WWE had to put out a statement saying our workplace isn't, you know, we don't create a culture of bullying, you know, whatever. So do you still think that he did, it was bully? It was. Oh, there are documented cases, like I said before, in people's books of JBL takes your passport. JBL rubs soap on your ass in the case of Edge in the shower. This is a guy that bullies people. Yeah. That does shit like that. The culture in locker rooms is different than it is in the world. You know, if you did some of that shit, you know, and back in the day, you know, it's just boys being boys. It's just boys doing this or whatever. Well, some people didn't grow up in locker rooms. You know, yeah. Mauro Ronaldo, 
has always been a broadcaster. Yeah. And so if you try some of that shit in the real world, you'll get decked. Joey Styles knocked JBL the fuck out back in the day for fucking with him. Yeah. So some of that shit, yeah, it does fly because some people are okay with it. You know, some people, oh, he's just kidding around. He's just doing that. And they just don't take a fit. You know, you just have to be aware of people's sensitivities. You know, not. I'm not saying like, oh, you got to walk on eggshells. You got to be politically correct and this and that. But you just have to. Don't don't fuck with him, though. I mean, like. Yeah, especially if if he ever pulled you aside and said, you know, chill out. I've you know, I've got I'm bipolar. I've got. I've got issues or whatever, and so this stuff kind of wears on me. Just chill out or whatever. Yeah. Then it's time to cut it off or whatever. But I, you know, and I mean, part of him uh, settling up with the company and leaving the company, we'll never find out what happened. We'll never get the story. So it's all just speculative. Well, Ronaldo did a show for New Japan, and he made a jab at WWE when uh, a wrestler was coming to the ring. He said... uh, He's so glad to be using the word pro wrestling. Again. Yes, he's so glad to be using the word pro wrestling. Again, yeah, but that's so. not so much a, a jab as the it's 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 ludicrous. WWE, this will offend you even. So WWE runs the Facebook thing and they post video clips sometimes. And when it's someone's birthday or when it's an anniversary of something, they put a video up of Luthez. It was his birthday. Okay, happy birthday to one of the most famous sports entertainers oh, okay. of all time. Whoa, okay. So that's, look, Luthez will be spinning in his grave knowing that he's been referred Luthez to as a sp- would reach up through the ground and strangle Vince McMahon just for someone saying that about him. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's just a, an insult to, yeah, especially a guy like that that, you know, kept kayfabe or whatever, that this shit was real to him, you know, and... Well, that's like Harley Race. If you ever, and I mean ever, call Harley Race a sports entertainer and not a wrestler, pretty sure you're going to get your head taken off even now. So Morrow had a had a point. I mean, yeah. this is just stupid. The fact that the only time that we get to hear the term wrestler is at the Hall of Fame is pretty fucking sad. I mean that. I agree. You can't just say. I mean, what does the W in WWE stand for if not wrestling? You know. Yeah. So, whatever. Sean Waltman, a.k.a. X-Pac. Yes. A.k.a. Six. Yes, one of our favorites. One of our favorites. Uh, he's gone missing. He no-showed an independent show An independent overseas. show in, in the U.K. And no-showed, and no one was able to find him. No, no one was able to reach him or contact him for about 24 to almost 48 hours. And apparently news breaks just within the hour that he has he is okay. He's, yeah, they found him. He is found. He is fine. The story that I read from bleedingcool.com, so I don't know the authenticity of their journalism practices, but after Buzz Network founder and husband of Mario, Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, reports that X-Pac is okay, though he is dealing, quote, dealing with issues, and he'll speak to the public soon. So there you go. So X-Pac is safe. Are we saying that this could possibly be a fallback into alcohol or drug addiction or something like that? Because you and I talked about behind closed doors the photo a couple of weeks ago that Sean Waltman put up in regards to his... uh, His new physique. His new physique. And he is ripped to be the age he is. So... 
Well, this this guy, uh, it's it's tough to speculate on stuff like this because he has a history of substance abuse problems. Certainly, probably never a big steroid guy, but this picture would certainly cause speculation about that. Uh, this is a, a subject that doesn't get brought up a lot, but he has hepatitis C. And so really? you're going to have good days and bad days when you have hep C. I don't have it, and I don't know anyone that has had it. I, but did, a lot. I did not know he had it. Yeah, so, I mean, he's torn his ass doing the missing a Bronco Buster a few years ago and nasty photos of that where he had to have surgery. So, And I mean, just years in the ring and years of travel. Uh, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of things that could cause you to burn out from time to time on yeah. whatever it is. So we're glad that Sean Waltman's okay. Uh, I'm glad that you brought up Sean Waltman because that segues into a slew of documentaries about wrestlers coming out. The new Vince McMahon WWE Studios produced documentary is in the works, Patrick. So you know, since they're producing it, it'll be fair and balanced, right to a T, right down the middle. They don't see. They're like a, a referee. They see it right down the middle and to the left. Yeah, yeah, just a little bit. Like a referee, they'll turn their back conveniently at certain points exactly. of the movie. Yeah. Of course, we have the Ric Flair documentary in the works. We have the Andre the Giant movie uh, being produced. A movie about his life. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, HBO Sports and uh, WWE is producing that because HBO put out one back in the late 90s about Andre. I didn't know if... So this is not the same one. They're actually doing another... No, I believe his daughter's involved with this project. Oh, okay, great. So they're... Awesome. No, now now I'm interested in the fact that you're going to see the real life you know, side. Okay, proceed. Yeah, so that, that could be cool, but Sean Waltman makes a cameo in what I feel is kind of... I will not go out of my way to watch this, but a, a biopic... Well, a documentary... The final year of China's life, which oh, was okay, yeah, which uh, we meant when I talked about Roman Reigns' brother or whatever. The final scene in this movie they tease in the trailer, Patrick, is this filmmaker discovering China's body. Really? And so I'm just, I really hope they don't go that direction and actually show you, or even like blur it out or whatever. Like I just feel like that's a little bit too intrusive, and I know that. China was along for the ride. She wanted this documentary to be made, but, you know. You don't go that far. Yeah, exactly. So. Oh, I know her family was upset in regards to some type of a documentary, but I didn't. I had just stumbled across that, but I hadn't I hadn't heard any info. And Sean anything. Waltman is a big uh, contributor. He's one of the big interviews in that. So that just reminded me of uh, the trailer for that came out uh, two weeks ago, the anniversary of China's death they released uh, the trailer for that film. So I just wanted to mention that and just mention my concern about the exploitiveness of it. So yeah, just uh, FYI, in case you ever see it pop up on Netflix or something, that this is might might be something you want to skip. So we have an Andre, we have events, and we have a... A Flair, too. And a Flair? Yeah, the ESPN 30 for 30 on Flair is coming out, I think, next month. Okay. It'll be 90 minutes long, and it's... Yeah, I believe it's set to debut either next month or... The article I'm looking at just says spring, so that's okay. that's on its way. So a lot of, uh, and of course the Page movie. So a lot of wrestling-related films uh, on the way very soon. All right. Well, that is all that I have from the news desk. Do we really have to go back to 1999? We have to go all the way back to 1999. Which we've talked about before. 
was a strange time in the world of WCW. This was my pick this week as last our last review, episode 30, we covered the WWF debut of One Diamond Dallas Page and the start of the invasion, basically. Yeah. As he was a a stalker of Mrs. Sarah Taker. And he was a quote by Jim Ross, DDP is a pervert, DDP is a stalker. So that's how they introduced him into WWF, and we mentioned it before, but in his Hall of Fame speech, doesn't that, exist. That was, yeah. Just like Paige will in a few years, it just doesn't oh, exist. Oh, but no, uh, uh, in the I, in the spectrum of their universe, as I'm with you, their branded thing. As you know, this 1999, of course, in January, we saw the finger poke of doom. We've reviewed that episode. Oh, man, that was brutal, and that set forth. Of course, you follow that brilliant decision up with Eric Bischoff saying, "You know what, Kevin Nash." Why don't you book the show for a while? I'm kind of tired of it. <laughs> so Kevin Nash is our booker. Yes, and we're coming off the heels of Starcade. Oh, this is the follow-up to Starcade, the rematch. Kevin Nash and Goldberg will be featured on this card because, of course, Goldberg smashed his hand in that limo through real glass, almost lost his hand, almost cut his hand off yeah. on the glass and was out of action. So this rematch... I mean, Starcade was in December. Right. And Spring Stampede takes place in April. Yes. So, and you probably, if you were watching WCW at this time, you you probably had quit watching by now because after the finger poke of doom, you have to be a diehard like Patrick Young and stick around. That's true. But I had already said... I was there till the end, I already said, bye! Bye, WCW. Won't be seeing you ever again. And, of course, this is also the ugly WCW logo era, yes. which is just, it just adds on to everything. Just the, the shittiness was just oozing out of cavities left and right in WCW. By the time we hit late 1999, WCW was losing $5 million a month. So that's the trajectory that we are on. I mean, the company always lost money, but... They that, could lose some in my direction. I mean, you know... Yeah, they. I mean, they could lose some in a lot of... They lost some money in some people's direction, as we'll see on this show. Eric Bischoff is on his way out. On September 10th, Mr. Bischoff was relieved of his duties in WCW. But it would not be the last we see of Eazy-E, because he would return in 2000 with Vince Russo for a cosmic connection of the mega powers of shit would, <laughs> would enter WCW. <laughs> The mega powers of shit. Now, that is brilliant. Well, that's what it's like. It's like you get two guys with some crazy ideas, and you put them together, and that's what happens. So we go back back in time to April 11th, 1999, in front of 17,690 people. Still a good crowd for WCW here in April of 99. We're at the Tacoma Dome in Tacoma, Washington. Lovely. A typical WCW stomping point are these, like, not huge towns, but not small towns, medium-sized stadiums is WCW's calling card, you know. WWE didn't really hit. And since WCW's closed, they don't hit, like, the UTC arena anymore for television. As I mentioned, we get the bad WCW logo reveal, and we're off. Generic rock music with a recap of all the players in the main event, plus... Kevin Nash and Goldberg, the main event being 
a four corners match, not a fatal four way because that's what WWF calls it. We call it a four corners match. It's DDP will take on Ric Flair, Hollywood Hogan, and Sting with a special guest referee. Who would that be, Patrick? None other than the Macho Man, Randy Savage. And what did Macho Man say? What was his catchphrase? Oh, yeah. Yes. So that is our two, I'd say, co-main events for this pay-per-view. Dig it. A lower third gun on the screen shoots Tacoma, Washington on the screen. So some very cheesy lower third special effects for WCW. Bang, bang. Oh, cact- a little uh, oh, a throwback to Cactus Jack. Some leftover gun graphics. There you go. Tony says, it's a springtime tradition. Well, they've only started this. They've only televised this thing since 97. So it's not really a tradition. Uh, yeah, tradition is more like Starcade. This yeah. is like... What what can, what can considers... How long does it take to become a tradition? Yeah, what, how long does it have to be before it comes from being just a, an event to an, a tradition? A tradition unlike any other, like the Masters. Uh, I think you have to hit... More than five? More than ten. More than ten. I'm going to say ten. That's the rule. On okay, well then, other than Starcade and Havoc, there was... Ne- there was or, right. Well, Great American Bash. There wasn't any other traditions in WCW. Clash of Champions. Could you say that was a tradition? Yeah, you could say Clash of Champions. Okay. So okay, proceed. Yeah. Tony is going to be joined by Bobby Heenan and Mike Tenay for this lovely event. As I guess Dusty was away from the company or off TV. Goldberg is looking for payback versus Kevin Nash here in April of 1999. Just a reminder. He lost in December of 98, and he hasn't lost anyone since that. They mentioned no. that later on, that Kevin Nash is still the only person to ever beat this man. The 21-1. and one. Yeah. He's the Brock Lesnar <laughs> of WCW. Well, now, I mean, he's the Roman Reigns oh, of WCW. Oh, see, that's just mean. Okay. How do you start out a pay-per-view hot? Blitzkrieg is out first. Blitzkrieg, not a luchador, just an American guy. Really? They put in a mask, and he was terrible, as you will see in this match. And so I think uh, a little after 1999, he retired and faded into obscurity. He's going to take on the maskless Hooventude Guerrera. Hoovy juice. The winner will get a cruiserweight shot tomorrow on Nitro. How's that for booking your pay-per-view? It's reverse booking. Yes. You book towards your TV instead of booking towards the pay-per-view. Yes. Wonderful. Good idea, WCD. Thanks, Kevin Nash. <laughs> Thanks for putting these cruiserweights in their place. Yeah. Letting them know that, hey, I'm the big man around yeah. here. The best big man in the business. That's right. Blitzkrieg and Hoovy shake hands to start the match, so this is a face-versus-face encounter. Hoovy lands a drop toe hold on Blitzkrieg, gets a two count. Blitzkrieg slaps on an ankle lock like Kurt Angle. Blitzkrieg gets rolled up for a two count and then complains to Charles Robinson about having his mask tugged on, which was not tugged on. So he's just bitching for no reason. Blitzkrieg, as I mentioned, not a great real high flyer, even though that was all his offense. He botches a -a tilt-a-whirl backbreaker and covers for a two count. Man, when I'm announcing, when I'm calling cruiserweight matches in my future career, I'm not going to say tilt-a-whirl backbreaker. They exchange chops and Hoovy hits a spinning head scissors on Blitzkrieg. Hoovy hits a springboard dropkick and hits Blitzkrieg directly in the melon. Yes. Blitzkrieg then retreats to the outside and Hoovy hits a suicide dive. Blitzkrieg lost to champion Kidman recently, but is somehow in a number one contenders match. Because Kidman was fighting for the title later on in this event. Right, but if you lose, I, I just don't understand the ranking system I think I have a problem with. 
I feel like Blitzkrieg should have gone down to like number four or five contender. Oh, so you think if you lose, you need to draw off like five spaces, not work your way back down or up? Yeah. I, okay. I, I don't think... Because if you lose the number one contender spot, then you fall into second. And if you lose again, then you fall into third. That's the way it's always been. Well, I think that you take into account how good they are in the ring, how how close the match was, stuff like that. When you just lose and you're Blitzkrieg, you're going to back to the back of the line, buddy. <laughs> Hoovy puts Blitzkrieg in the Rito Romero special, or La Tapatia, which is a... Which is a surfboard. It is. Just a surf... Uh, Mike Tanay. Very good to have Mike Tanay on the show instead of Dusty. Dusty would have said, he's stretching him! <laughs> he put the, the boogie-woogie to him! <laughs> he just wouldn't have had anything to... He wouldn't have known La Tapatia. No. Blitzkrieg escapes and drop kicks Hoovy to the outside. That was a great escape, though. I've never seen a surfboard escape turn into a pin like that. That yeah. was very well. That was very impressive. Very well done. Blitzkrieg goes to the top turnbuckle, and Hoovy just walks away from him. Yeah, nope, not happening. Sorry. Which is always a good idea. I don't know why wrestlers always are just standing there in awe, like, oh, he's about to jump on me. <laughs> I guess I should catch him. Should I move? Yeah, so... Smartly, yeah, who was just like, I'll just walk over here. Yeah. But Blitzkrieg, he's like, no, no, no. I'll run to the turnbuckle closest to you, and I'll try whatever I'm going to try. So Blitzkrieg leaps down to the mats and gets drop kicked on his way down as Hoovy goaded him into this situation. Hoovy sucks chance break out from this crowd for some reason. I thought Hoovy was always over. Like, I never... Blitzkrieg hits a springboard moonsault onto Hoovy, who is outside the ring. Hoovy tries the Hoovy driver but gets reversed and has to settle for an inverted DDT. Blitzkrieg and Hoovy botched something off the top turnbuckle. It looked like it was supposed to be a superplex or something, and yeah. they just tumble yeah. to the ground. Hoovy tries the Hoovy driver, but gets rolled up for a two-count from Blitzkrieg. And then Blitzkrieg botches again here as he goes up to a top turnbuckle. He's going to try a Hurricane Rana, and he's going to try it like Ultimo Dragon used to do, where he would start on your back Spin, and then and hit a flip. Well, he spins around on Hoovy, sort of like how Ultimo Dragon does. But then Hoovy just sort of like grabs his leg and screws him up completely, and they botch and go tumbling right off of the turnbuckle. It, yes. It looked really bad. Yeah. But it was worth the finish here. Hoovy picks him up, Blitzkrieg off the mat, and hits a super Hoovy driver, which looked fucking devastating. Oh, it killed him. It was nasty. This is why Hoovy. This is why uh, Blitzkrieg is no longer in wrestling. Because he's dead. <laughs> Hoovy murdered Blitzkrieg. This is, this is a snuff film now. This is awesome. This is an oh, awesome movie. It was. It was awesome. It's yeah. sad. It's a shame that he broke this out against Blitzkrieg and not like against Rey Mysterio Jr. and like, yeah. a, you know, an awesome like yeah. five star classic. But yeah. better late than never. Well, it was a way to try to save the match, I think. Well, and Blitzkrieg. Is stupid enough to take that move, too. So. Yeah, because I would never... There's never... Yeah, he lands right on his melon. Hoovy gets the win and is the number one contender for the cruiserweight belt in 11-11. And if Blitzkrieg didn't botch so much, this would be a really great match. But I agree, yeah. It, it had some high spots to begin with, then it just went to shit, and then... Hoovy saved the very the very ending, but... Uh, yeah, he, he popped the crowd with the super Hoovy drive. Yeah, yeah. Hardcore oh, hack. Although this is match of the night oh, right gosh. here. Plunder. If this you love is plunder, awesome. this is your match. This is this really is actually my match. Of course you do. I love this match. 
When oh, this you is... pick this pay-per-view, this is actually, it's not DDP or any, this is the match I thought of. <laughs> yeah. This is how awesome this match is. Now, this is garbage. This is great. And it has a lot of use of garbage cans, so it's fitting. You have Hardcore Hack taking on Bam Bam Bigelow. Hardcore Hack being? Sandman. Sandman. So I will call him Sandman for the majority of this. That'll be easier, yeah. They show highlights from this feud, which was done over the last few Nitros when Hack hacked Bam Bam. So he's actually that's his gimmick is he hacks you with yeah. hacking material, a kendo stick. Yeah. So Bam Bam, you know, he's just sitting there wrestling and he keeps getting interrupted and hit with kendo sticks. For by Sandman. Yes. Sandman is accompanied by Chastity, yes. who was released uh, not too long after this. She She was there for Bash at the Beach. But she was released when Time Warner found out that she had done an adult film. They were not okay with Chastity being in adult really? films, so they let her go. Chastity played Raven's sister, and I guess she's Sandman's girlfriend? They never explained Correct. their yes. relationship. Yes, she was Sandman's girlfriend. Hack came out to a recycled theme song. I couldn't pinpoint who they used the theme song. This was an old song that they recycled, but I couldn't remember who it was used for. Yeah. And Bam Bam came out to the best theme song of all. None. Yeah. He walks out in complete silence. And, you know, he had such a great WWF theme, you know, the bam, bam. Like, WCW had nothing for him. Yeah. Bam Bam wheels out a cart full of plunder. So you know how this match is going to go. And he rams it right into Sandman. Some plunder, baby. They decide to battle it out around the stage, which... Has a stagecoach, you know, because it's yeah. the old west. It's, it's a spring the wild stampede west. Yeah. in Tacoma, Washington, yeah. a little further west than the old west, but okay. There's bales of hay and straw. Hack somehow had slipped in when the ring crew was setting up and hit a table underneath, under the hay, the hay underneath this stage giant stagecoach. So you know what Hack does? He sets it up. Yeah, and he. Smashes Bigelow's head into it, lays him down on there. Then all of a sudden, Hack just disappears. Next thing you know, he's on top of the stagecoach. He's going to use that stagecoach. He takes a running jump, a somersault, and flips off of this stagecoach through Bigelow, through a table, to the concrete below. It's wagon train time! It's go! Hey, it's the Duke! It's John Wayne! Oh, no. It's, it, oh, no, he's no. not. Oh! <laughs> Somersault onto Bigelow, and the Beast of the East and Hack both went through the table. Wow! Welcome to Spring Stampede! Still, to this day, is badass. I don't give a shit what you say. That's awesome. It was badass. It's just a shame that most of the fans couldn't see this because, you know, the WCW Titantrons are not too great. You know, they're they're small. Well, this stagecoach had springs and shocks, too. So this oh, thing yeah. was, wo- like, it was really, really wobbly. And for him to get his balance well enough to actually just do a flip off of it, this is in, like, some Jeff Hardy kind of stuff here. Well, like, not as graceful. Is, I mean, Not as graceful, but this is still, like... You got to be half crazy and half on something to pull this off. Like, and, it was really. And I think it's wasted, too, because it's at the beginning of the match. Yeah. There's no psychology to no. Sandman's attack here. This was your highest point of the match. Yeah, they did it right off the bat. Just so we're going to give it to you straight. Bam Bam, despite being smashed through this table, beats Sandman to, <laughs> to his, his feet. feet. <laughs> and they walk and brawl back to the ring. Bam Bam chucks Sandman into his plunder cart and hits him with a metal crutch. They get into the ring, and Sandman decides to hit Bam Bam with a garbage can. 
Little Caesars is a sponsor of this event, and so their logo is in each corner, I noted. Sandman wedges a table between the apron and the guardrail. Yes. The announcers start giving out to Tony because he mentions that trash can lids don't hurt that much. Way to put the match over, Tony. I think the uh, the least lethal of all of these items would have to be that, uh, that trash can. It's aluminum. It does have some give to it. It makes a... a a great sound when it hits you up against the head, but if you really want to hurt somebody, you know, you got to go for bricks. Yeah, use the crutch. Use the kendo star. Why not use another table? Now, look at this. Hack has got the table. Going to move the safety rail over so that he can wedge the table between the apron and the guardrail. Now, if I was that fan, I'd move the table. I'd move the rail back. Oh. Oh, hello. Now, now that doesn't hurt, does it, Tony? Well, no. Wow. Sounds good, though, huh, Tony? I, th- I don't think it hurts as much as the other ones. I mean, you've got you've to pick and choose what you want to use here. Room service. Batter up. <laughs> oh, he just went deep. If you had the patty melt. Yeah. Bobby Heenan chews his ass out for it, too. Oh, yeah, because he takes, later on, he takes a hit with the trash can lid, and he goes, that doesn't hurt, does it, Tony? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Bam Bam grabs a broom, still in the wrapper, a brand new broom. What what a waste of a broom. And beats Hack with it. It was supposed to break, I think, or he was trying to break it. I just said, what a waste of a new broom. And all he did was just beat the shit out of him with it. It was quite entertaining. Bam Bam smacks Sandman with a salad bowl. Bam Bam tries a vertical suplex, but poor Bam Bam. Just not in the best shape of his his life here. He, he just can't do it. No. And Sandman tries to reverse it, and they just botch and just fall onto each other. Sandman gets the 15-footer out from under the ring, the ladder, which uh, this is before, you know, TLC. Yeah. So this, this is the, the start right here. Of the big ladder. Of the big ladder. Sandman drop kicks the ladder onto Bigelow and then hits him with it. Sandman does another somersault this time from the turnbuckle onto Bam Bam Bigelow, who was laying on... He had the ladder on top of Bam Bam, so he made a Bam Bam ladder sandwich, I guess. There you go. Very well done. Bobby Heenan rightly questions, why would you do that? Because it would hurt you more to hit the ladder that's laying on top of him. Sandman Bulldogs Bam Bam on the ladder. Bobby Heenan, by the way, at points on this card, woke up and had some great lines. But for the most part, he was he was snoozing. But yeah. when he did speak sometimes, he nailed it. Sandman gets another table and a guardrail from under the ring. He gets spare guardrails under there. Yeah. Well, you, you know. Bam Bam pulls the ladder as Sandman is climbing it. And... He somersaults through the table he propped up between the ring and the guardrail, which had fallen down earlier. Chastity went and fixed it for us, for Sandman to eventually somersault through it by himself. Yeah. Sandman and Bam Bam basically no-sell all of these shots. They just get up instantly. This was a no-sell fest because these guys beat the shit out of each other and nobody sold for anybody. Yeah. Bam Bam slings Sandman into a ladder in the corner. Then Sandman wakes up, wedges a guardrail into the ropes... Lays Bam Bam on it and tries a leg drop off the top turnbuckle, but misses and crotches himself. Crotches himself on a metal guardrail. Yeah, Yeah. not too good. No, he's not having kids anymore. Chastity. You had one job, Chastity, in this match. The fire extinguisher spot. She is supposed to come in and spray Bam Bam with the fire extinguisher. Yeah. She can't work a fucking fire extinguisher. How stupid do you have to be? I always think, like, when I read the instructions on a fire extinguisher, like, it's pretty self-explanatory. Pull the pin, squeeze the handle. 
she couldn't figure this out. No. But, but Bam Bam saves her, grabs it, and sprays her with it. After some struggle. As she, yeah, as she's trying to get out of the ring. Yeah. Um, he's like, hey, hold on a second. Well, I can her, I can work. Her, she's bent over the, the ropes, and he just proceeds to reach it right up her pants leg <laughs> and sprays her right in he the... He puts her fire out. Yeah, he put her fire out, and I... Put a little note here. That's a new term of freezing your ass off. Oh, so, good uh, one. So, yeah. Yeah, just, she can't, <laughs> this was the one thing she was supposed to do in the match. That, that's a, there's so, there so many jokes that we could make that I'm trying to keep PG to a degree here. Sandman so. Russian leg sweeps Bam Bam onto the guardrail that he brought into the ring with the kendo stick across Bam Bam's throat. Of course... Bam Bam just no-sells this. They get back up. Bam Bam lands a super greetings from Asbury Park oh my God, on this Sandman. This is another bad. This was so ugly. Who I'm crashes sitting. through a table and nearly onto the fire extinguisher, which yeah. would have killed him. Yes, which it literally, we're talking inches, not feet, inches of his neck and head going right on top of this fire extinguisher. Yeah, that would. It would. It was. <laughs> And Bam Bam gets the win in 11:33. I love this fucking match. This match so is bad so it's bad, good. it's good. There is so much shit that they do to each other that you're like, what the hell were they thinking? But damn, that was entertaining as shit. Just no sell everything. No sell everything. Just get through all the spots. This is without a doubt my match of the night. <laughs> I love this match. Cannot top it. Bam Bam says into the camera, that's hardcore, as he gets the win with no music. Yeah. So the crowd doesn't, I mean, there's no heat for this match no, whatsoever. No. Now, oh, a special bonus match, Patrick. Don't you like buying a pay-per-view for those surprise matches? I do. And I just wish my bonus match didn't include Scotty Riggs taking on Mikey Whipwreck. Yes, yeah, Scotty Riggs comes out with a mirror, and he says, oh, the mirror on the back of it says, Better looking every day. You know what? There's a song. There's an old country song that is, Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. And that's what this gimmick was based on. And that is what this gimmick was based on because as soon as I saw it, the song popped in my head. I thought it was hilarious. Great gimmick. He also has no eye patch. No eye patch. Okay, now this is the thing. (laughs) If you have an eye patch gimmick and you use it for years, not like... Jake the Snake when he had the contact lens and he had the the blindfold match or yeah. whatever. Yeah. When it's for a storyline, that's fine. But Scotty Riggs had wrestled with this fucking eye patch for like two years, and for you to just well, my is better. <laughs> you can't do that. So I thought this was really weird, and also it reminded me of the N sixty four game WCW NWO Revenge. You know, they had all the groups sorted out, and so he was in the flock. Right. And the only difference between him and Sick Boy was that eye patch. Like, they had the same face. Oh, yeah. The same Same attire. And I can't even... I was thinking to myself when I realized that, too, like, when I thought about this memory, I don't recall ever seeing Sick Boy in a match. Do you ever remember a Sick Boy match? (laughs) Do you remember anything about Sick Boy? No. Other than him just existing? No. Yeah, so there you go. We'll have to we'll have to keep reviewing pay per views till we find a sick boy match. I am quite curious now that you bring that up. So anyway, maybe they're I think they're the same person. Wonder if they are. <laughs> but how could they be at the same place at the same time? Maybe yeah. There's some hijinks going on. Yeah. 
This was a thrown together match, no storyline. No Scott, story Scotty Riggs is going to take on Mikey Whipwreck, who, like his other ECW alum, Bam Bam Bigelow, has no music. And by the way, that's okay because Mikey Whipwreck is the shit. Okay. <laughs> oh, oh, he is shit. No, yes. he is the no, shit. No, okay. Mikey. He was in. Uh, let's see here. What WWE game was he in? He was in uh, last year's WWE game. No, oh, he was? Two years, wow. two years ago. He was in the one that went through Austin's career. Oh, okay. Which one was that? I think that would have been... 13? 14? 16. 16. Okay. Right. For 316. So he was, in, he was in that. Yeah. So. Well, I think what I like about Mikey Whipwreck is he gives hope to any wrestling fan because oh, he yeah. looks like just a guy in the crowd and he got a job. Yeah. And he wrestled some in ECW some high profile matches. Right. And launched you know, Austin to being Stone Cold. I mean And he also, you know, got a huge payday with WCW. And this just proves that if you were from WWF or ECW in nineteen ninety nine, you can get a job in WCW. It doesn't matter who you are, like Mikey Whipwreck, sign him. Doesn't fucking matter. Like I mean, this is not Mikey Whipwreck in his prime. He is he is pretty shitty here i think yeah well i mean i and he looks like i said he looks like a wrestling fan which as a wrestling fan i don't want to see other wrestling fans in the ring wrestling you you see what i'm saying like you don't have to have a chiseled body no but you can't look like mikey whipwreck and make it see and i think mikey had that he had that like ricky morton mentality when you know as ricky morton when he get his ass kicked like he said at the hall of fame how you know how he would reach out to the fans out you know at ringside you know just mouth help me or something like mikey whipwreck had that kind of a mentality like when you when you saw him get his ass kicked you were like damn i really want him to come on dude please you, you fought you fought for mikey whipwreck to be like that's my boy like he is the true underdog him, oh, yes. him spike dudley you know that's your that's your he there's a true underdogs that i think that that's what carried him into his into being able to work for wcw Mikey Whipwreck, this is only his fourth match in WCW because he got injured as soon as he arrived in the company. And so this is his fourth match. Tries to do the Rick Rude hip swivel, and it is not near as classy as... Or impressive. Scotty Riggs, nice physique, but not... Rick Rude, and, de- and certainly doesn't have the agility to do a hip swivel. Riggs slams Whipwreck and drop toe holds him. Whipwreck smacks him and lays in some punches in the turnbuckle. The crowd is completely dead for this match, and rightly so. Whipwreck lands a leg drop on Riggs, who was draped across the bottom apron. Whipwreck hits a shitty slingshot Hurricane Rana from the ring to Riggs, who was out on the ring mats. Like, Stude nearly broke his own neck. Riggs drop kicks Whipwreck into the guardrail. Riggs does a one-finger cover of Mikey Whipwreck for a one count. Whipwreck is choked on the ropes. Boring chants start to break out as Whipwreck spits out. Ooh, just disgusting. The huge spittle on his chin as he was getting choked in the ropes. The boring chants intensify. They get louder as Riggs locks in a rest hold. You know how to win the crowd back over? Lock in a headlock. Yep. Whipwreck hits a drop kick off the second rope for two. Riggs lands a flying forearm. And gets the three in a miserable 7-0-3. And also, why do you sign Mikey Whipwreck and have him just... I mean, his first match, I think, was against Mysterio. That's okay. 
to lose against Mysterio. But when you're losing to a jobber like Scotty Riggs, like, why did you even sign him if you were just going to book him to lose to Scotty Riggs on an unannounced match? You know, yeah. like, this was not match of the night. No. <laughs> I feel like Mikey Whipwreck, had he won this match, first of all, I feel like he should have won this match. Scotty Riggs could then, it, it elevates Mikey Whipwreck and it elevates Scotty Riggs both because then Scotty can be like, whoa, what the hell? And do the whole surprise factor and, oh my god, I can't believe he did this. And there, there's money there. Yeah, or he could have been in the match against Hoovy earlier for the Cruiserweight con- right. contendership. Mikey should have won this match. Sorry to interrupt. Here is the House of Horrors. Randy is in the House of Horrors now, so we just want to look at this stupidity. As Randy is lost in the House of Horrors, he sees baby dolls strung wait up. Minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Shoes. It's the House of Horrors, Patrick. So this isn't even taking place in the arena? No, it takes place in the house, and then they make their way to the arena. What? <laughs> How the hell? Bray found him looking at his baby dolls and was not happy. This can all be done for next week, but I just I saw this happening in the corner of the screen and I, I had to mention this. Bray barely fits in a closet. Big man. This is, going is like some last house on the left kind of shit. Okay. So anyway, yes, Whipwreck should have won or been in the cruiserweight match and lost or anything. Yeah, this was just not a good match for either Scotty Riggs or Mikey Whipwreck. Here's your real match of the night coming up. Oh my goodness. We Conan. go from one shitty match to another Dude, shitty This is match. where the pay-per-view really died. A death here in the middle. Slow agonizing. You have Conan taking on Disco Inferno. Why? Because Disco didn't like his music video. His music video that was done in like 98. Like they used this music video for Conan forever. Yeah, Disco made his own music video. Let me speak on this. I actually thought it was pretty funny. (laughs) Oh, it was hilarious. We have to go to Conan's music video. I told you guys not to play it. Let me speak on this. The best music video on a wrestling show goes to the Disco Inferno. Hey, Disco. You know, you come out here, you try to perpetrate on my video. Well, if Conan wants to do something about it, then he can do it in the ring with me at Spring Stampede. Disco, so yes. disco is very entertaining. This isn't, yes, this isn't a feud over, yes, who has the better music video? Who knows music better? Disco Inferno always has to feud over music. He feuds over music and dancing in every. Well, feud. that's his whole gimmick. I know, but. You know what? Rap is crap. That's all I'm saying. He, he could have been in the West Texas. That's how they should have changed his gimmick. He could have went. He could have said, "I'm in give, the West Texas Rednecks. I give up disco. I am now a country western star, and you will respect me." There you go. So, I don't think Kurt Henning. Kurt Henning would have probably laughed him off stage and said, uh, "That would have been a great pairing, though." I mean, could you imagine Disco playing the tambourine next to Kendall Windham? That's a quite first a of all, the tambourine is not country and western. I, what? <laughs> That's what he's bringing to it. I couldn't think of a good instrument. The triangle. I don't know what the triangle. Yeah, there you go. The triangle, I mean, they weren't sure. playing, really playing their instruments anyway. Yeah, so. they were. Patrick. It's all real, dude. Yeah, it's all real. It's real to Conan me, Conan is out first in his camo <laughs> pants, his football jersey, and his wool white socks beanie. He looks ridiculous, even by pro wrestling standards. Yo, 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 let me speak on this. Tacoma Conan and Patrick is not very bowdy-bowdy or rowdy-rowdy. Disco Inferno is out in aluminum foil shirt, a cowboy <laughs> hat, and camo disco duds, so they wore the same pants, basically. And and and, and the, the the hat is the same color as the shirt. Yeah, it's aluminum foil hat. 
uh, cowboy hat, too. Conan, with his huge bandana, makes fun, despite looking ridiculous himself, says, Conan calls Disco a straight-up strawberry. Ooh, thems are fighting words. The Urban Dictionary definition for strawberry, Patrick, is someone who willingly exchanges sexual services for drugs. So there you go. That is what, oh, okay. that is what Conan thinks Disco Inferno is is a strawberry. Man, this dude was shredded for this. He is our Scott Putsky Award nominee <laughs> of the night, as the law radio would call it. Man, this dude, he was in the best shape of his life. Too bad he's wasting it on Conan Yeah, and this match. Conan bulldogs him, stomps a mud hole on the co- in the corner. The announcers mention these guys, former Wolfpack members. Patrick, uh, if you remember the Disco Inferno membership into the Wolfpack. So... I don't it was a bit of history. It. it was very, very brief. Disco hits a I swing. I mean, I knew he was in it, but I don't remember the... It was there and gone. Nothing memorable about Disco. Sorry. Disco hits a swinging neckbreaker after strutting and dancing. Disco locks in rest holds on Conan. Then Disco scoop slams him. Goes upstairs for an elbow drop, but he misses. But he misses. Conan then hits the cradle DDT called the 187, which is the police code for homicide. But Disco kicks out of the 187, so he's not dead. Disco hits a swinging neckbreaker for a two count. Conan hits the stone cold stunner, or as Disco calls it, the last dance. Conan hits Disco's own finisher to Disco and wins in 917. Or a chart buster. Or a chart buster. It had many names. Or the Disco Drop, right? I already called it that. You know, it had many, many names. Oh, yeah. One of them accidentally calls it the wrong name. I think Bobby calls, calls it, it the a chart buster. And then Tony yeah. jumps on him. He gets some revenge for that yeah. garbage can stuff earlier. So there, what did you think of Disco and Ooh, K-Dog? This was, it was a long match. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Glenn Gilberti is awesome. Now... Glenn Gilberti, a.k.a. Disco Inferno. Could have been used in so many different ways, but you you can't. This was just not a good pairing. This is a gimmick that you realize, I mean, he's one of the, he's actually a solid worker in the ring. Oh, yeah. And he's a great worker. I think you can introduce him as a comedy character like Disco Inferno and then take him off TV and bring him back as something different. Also, the problem with that, though, it's hard to do with, with Glenn Gilberti because his face is just so... He has such a recognizable face that even if you repackage this guy, it's still Disco Inferno. It's not Alex Wright and... Yeah, he doesn't go bald, you know, and just... You can't just turn shave Russian. his head. Yeah. 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 Oh, that would have been a great transition. Disco is now Russian. I hate music! You know, just like... That would have been funny. And stupid ideas or whatever, but I mean, wait until we, Vince Russo gets there. These yeah. are actually much better ideas than what they actually did. We could have saved WCW. We could have made it go out of business a lot quicker. I know that for a fact. <sighs> We'd have kept it going for years. It'd still be running. Time for our Cruiserweight Championship match. Tag team champions together are going to wrestle each other yes. for the Cruiserweight belt. What sense does this make, Patrick? The tag team champions are Billy Kidman and Rey Mysterio. Maskless Rey Mysterio. You're... Cruiserweight Championship is holder is, is Rey Mysterio, and the Cruiserweight title will be on the line in a tag team title, teammate versus an inter- teammate. Pro- an inter-team inter- pro- match? There you go. Interpromotional team. Uh, no. What, what a friendly. Friendly tag team 
Singles match. Singles. You know what we're trying to say. Yeah. Okay. Now, you know what would have been nice if they hadn't put the belts on these guys and, oh, yeah. and used and it we in the actually, tag match later? Yeah, we actually got it in the next match. That would have been awesome. <laughs> it would have added just a little. I thought next match, seriously, the match of the night. But uh, if it had the tag team match. <laughs> I really. The tag team match we're was gonna, awesome. We're going we're gonna to differ on that. Anyway. <laughs> they are going to wrestle each other these Tag champs are going to wrestle each other for the cruiserweight belt. You're just going to have to defend it tomorrow night on on Nitro. So why not? If I was Kidman, I'd be like, I don't really want the belt because I don't want to work tomorrow night. I just want tomorrow night off. More money. If I win, more. oh, more money, of course. Yeah, champions get paid, you know, more to defend. Winner's purse plus the championship. So you know, oh, of course, kayfabe, kayfabe reasons. I like your logic. Kidman launches Ray to the outside and hits a crossbody from the ring to Ray. They battle near the guardrail, and Kidman uses it to drop a leg drop on Mysterio, rolls him into the ring, and gets a two count. Ray head scissors Kidman out of the ring and hits a moonsault, which Kidman catches and then tries snake eyes with Mysterio on the guardrail, but Mysterio drops to the back and pushes out of it. And then Mysterio head scissors Kidman, but in the process slings his own head directly into the steps and gets a big knot on his head from this move. He didn't have out-of-ring awareness, and he yeah. slung his own head. Big, big knot. Yeah, he was pissed about hitting this thing because oh, yeah. he like, smacked the stairs after. He yeah. was pissed. Ray was, Ray was mad. Kidman gets back into the ring. Mysterio hits a springboard Thez press uh, to Kidman. Then he hits a lion salt for a two count. Mysterio tries a Hurricane Rana, but Kidman counters it into a running powerbomb, a move you will never see in the ring anymore. Never again. Never again. Sorry, draws. Tony and Bobby start arguing to the point where Bobby refuses to talk during the middle of this match because Tony called out Bobby for repeating something. I'm not going to stop him from trying another moonsault. Middle rope springboard. One, two, no. And these guys are tag partners. Yes. That's about the fourth time we've said that in this match, Brain, but we'll let you say it again. Well, I know that. I was just trying to. You, would just, you don't want me to say anything. I won't. No, go ahead. He's just merely reinforcing the point. That's all, Tony. Are you taking his side now? you got to take somebody's. A running power bomb. Brain? What? You go talk? No, I hate to be redundant. Then you won't have anything to say. He he said like he called the same move twice or something, yeah. and Tony jumped on him. So Bobby was like, "All right, I'll just shut up." They're actively arguing in the middle of this match. Kidman hits a backbreaker into almost like a rock bottom on Rey Mysterio for a two count. Kidman hits a power bomb for another two. Kidman slides Mysterio back out of the ring and hits his shooting star press off the apron to Mysterio, who was down on the ring mats. An always an awesome move to see Kidman hitting the shooting star off the ring apron. Mysterio hits a top rope bulldog onto Kidman, then follows it up with a spinning heel kick. Kidman then slows things down with a headlock. Ray hits a springboard somersaulting senton to Kidman, who had gone outside the ring. Mysterio then rolls Kidman back into the ring and tries something off the top rope, but gets met with a clothesline from Kidman. Heenan mentions using your cargo pants to store nothing but weapons. If you wear cargo pants, you should load them up with weapons. Heenan, again, making a great point here. That's a brilliant point. Yeah. You don't even have to take them out. Of your pockets. Just have them loaded. Then just hit them with, like, the side of your knee or something. Yeah, which is uh, Seth Rollins' new finishing move is uh, throwing your his knee into your face. He deb- He's not doing the pedigree anymore. Really? Yeah, on Raw, he, he started to do a pedigree, I think, on... Uh, it was a tag match. I think he was going to do it on Miz. I think Miz took the fall in the main event on Monday. That's not good. Miz is mid-card so fast. Now. He starts the pedigree, and then he's like... 
oh no no and then spins him around real quick and then just slams his knee into his face it's like uh it's like kenny omega's rainmaker but with his knee so that is what seth rollins is his hurt knee now it's like a weapon it's almost like lex luger when he got the uh bionic forearm from having an injured forearm so now Seth has bionic knees, apparently, so <laughs> he should still just do the curb stomp is what that's what I think that's an awesome move, and it's safe, yeah, I don't know why they banned it because it's why did they ban it because they don't want kids to do it, you know legit, like they don't right they can do all the other dangerous shit, but you know, yeah, I mean, it was still in the video game, but he hasn't done it in since WrestleMania, when he won the title, that that was the last time he did it on uh, Lesnar. But they actually, uh, okay, that's ridiculous. Or on uh, Reigns, sorry, he did it to Reigns at WrestleMania, in that when he cashed in his money in the bank, right? And then he teased doing it a few months later, I think. With uh, he was going to do it to Edge, he was going to break Edge's neck again, and uh, but he's never done it since that wrestlemania match and it's been it was cut out of it when they were still using that old titantron they cut it out of it so yeah they don't i thought that he would actually break it out on special occasions but no it's just bam because the week i thought we would have seen it at mania this year yeah i did too especially i mean Mm -hmm. to end a feud with triple h because it's a great move and it's so simple yeah a guy just is on his hands and knees and he just goes down it's totally safe yeah Whatever. Anyway, I mean, they call it sports entertainment, so why am I, you know, trying to make sense of... True. Anyway, back to 1999 in Spring Stampede. We're still in the middle of Ray and Kidman. Kidman hits a pedigree on Ray, speaking of the pedigree. But Ray springs to life and cuts him off before Kidman could hit the shooting star press. But Kidman power bombs Mysterio off the top turnbuckle, a super bomb. Ray then bulldogs Kidman off the top turnbuckle, but only gets a two. Kidman hits a bulldog of his own off the second rope on Ray for a two count. Kidman hits his version of the X-Factor, which is an X-Factor from the powerbomb position, basically. Then he goes for the shooting star again, but gets cut off by Ray. Ray hits his top turnbuckle Hurricane Rana for the win in 1532. Had the crowd been more into this match and the match had a little more psychology, it could have been match of the night here, but they stacked all their big spots in just random places. Yeah. There was no building up. Like, that shooting star press he hit off the ring apron to Mysterio was like in the early part of the match, and it yeah. had no build up, and there was yeah. nothing came of it, and right. that could have been the finish of the match, you know? He misses it, or whatever, and so... I just kind of had some problems with the pacing of the match, but these guys are always solid performers. I mean, if this was an indie show, this would be match of the night, you know, at an indie show when you're just rushing through spots. But for this pay-per-view, and they are teammates, and that didn't come into a factor at all. These guys, they didn't have any hesitation about, like, locking up or, like, you know, Kidman's about to do a big, like, a power bomb. Like, he should have shown some hesitation. Like, this is my tag team partner. Like, I might be putting my tag team partner out. So, yeah. More psychology. Yeah, I, I, I didn't care. Because if you and I were tag team champs and we were in a match together, we would have we would have some hesitation about just bashing each other's skull in. I would never hit you in a million right. years. You would naturally lay down for me so I could win the cruiserweight belt, right? No, you would lay down for me. <laughs> okay, well. <laughs> see, okay. No, I'm just playing. Yes, yeah, I would lay down. Absolutely, thank I you. I would lay down for you. That's yes. very lovely of you. <laughs> Out of context, it sounds really... Yes, I would lay down for you, my friend. I would lay down friend. for you so you can hey, cover buddy. me. Yeah. One, two, three. Lay your body over mine, buddy. <laughs> uh, Tag match up next. I, I didn't much care for Kidman Mysterio. This match... Didn't do much for you. Didn't huh? really do much for me, no. I didn't... It was... These are two of my favorite cruiserweights. Oh, well, I, I, mine too. I love the, you know... 
this match, for some reason, it's just it was like just spot, 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 go home. It also followed two of the worst matches of the night, so it's hard to get psyched for this match. Yeah, and you know they're tag team champs, so there's no there's no feud. There's no right tag match up next. It's Benoit Malenko versus Raven and Saturn, who Saturn had already broken up this group, but yet somehow ended up right back with Raven. But he is wearing his dress because he lost that stipulation to Jericho, where he had to wrestle in dresses. So that's why Saturn was, well, it wasn't a dress. It was more like a big, long skirt. That is why Saturn is wrestling in a skirt. But that was only for like one month or something, wasn't it? Yeah, he eventually dropped it. But, I mean, Jericho, when he left the company, I guess the stipulation wears off when the guy leaves the company. But it was only for a month, and he ended up doing this gimmick for like a year or more. Yeah, didn't they even redo it in WWF? I think he redid it in WWF. Right, yeah. So I always wanted to wear dresses. In the highlight reel, we get... A snippet of Raven's WCW theme. They forgot to dub over it in the highlight package, but when he came out, he came out to his WWF theme. Kidman and Mysterio won the belts after Raven interfered in a Benoit Malenko match. Kidman and Mysterio are basically not the real champs. Like, they just fluke won the titles, so it really negates their legitimacy as tag team champions. Did they win? They won, but that's all that matters. That's all that matters. Who's got the belts? If you, That's as legit win, as it is. A win is a win, no matter how you get it. And Benoit, to add some fuel to this feud, hit a diving headbutt on a chair on an episode of Thunder to Raven and Saturn. So there you go. It's the last version of the Horseman theme, which means Malenko and Benoit are out, accompanied by Arn, double-A Arn Anderson. Raven is out to his dubbed WWF theme. I thought, th- I thought, just side note though, I thought this was the best horseman theme i thought the one before it was actually better and i say that there's parts of this one that i like better than the one that came before it i love in the one before this one there's a segment where it's like a xylophone i think that's the one on your phone is that what it is not that yours doesn't have the clippity clap right yours doesn't have the horses uh, running out right no let's see yeah that's the one before this the one that is on spring stampede this is the one before it? Yeah. And this one has the part where it goes to the xylophone or whatever. And do-do-do-do-do-do-do. Oh, no. This was my favorite then. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Then we're in agreement. Yeah. The one with the... I like the one that they came out to, um, but they took out that xylophone part and re- replaced it with, like, guitar instead. And it's just... It loses just that much. It's yeah. it's that close between the two. Yeah, that one, that one is my favorite. Yeah, the uh, when you have the horse, the clippy clap of the horse, and then you hear that. That's the one. That's this one. Oh, okay. I that's the '99. The exact same. They're slightly different. I'll play a snippet of. is a lot of people don't realize in wrestling theme music can make you or break you just as big as character that's just as big as thank you to the Freebirds for that specific reason the horseman theme i still think is the greatest theme music both versions there yeah i in, think in wrestling i think it's the greatest theme song without 
words. Oh, That's yeah. I'll, I'll go. It's hard for me to it's put right it over. It's right there with, I mean, but Flares by itself is, you know... Well, but Flares isn't, you know, I mean, that's from 2001, thing. A Space Odyssey, yeah. so. But still, though. As far as original compositions, you oh, know, yeah, for okay, well then, yes, absolutely, yeah. Um, I mean, we could do a whole show just on ranking things. Well, okay, so with words, though, what is your. I think Sexy Boy's got to be way up there. I mean, just. Really? I mean, do you count Legion of Doom as having words since it says what a rush at the start no, of it? No, because that's just like saying Bam Bam's music. I think Buff Bagwell's. Buff! Daddy. Okay, now I'm buff, buff Bagwell's music. I'm buff. I'm the stuff in the gr- or American males. Man called Sting. There are a ton of ones yeah. with words that Steiner line. Uh, Mr. Bang Bang, Cactus Jack. Oh yes. Yeah, a lot of a lot of great. Doesn't oh yeah, Steiner line. <laughs> yeah. Here's a little story about Rick and Scott coming down to the ring to get yourself caught or whatever. You know, just like <laughs> that was brutal. <laughs> Yeah, well, sorry. I don't know the words. Because I, I just know, I tell you a little story about Rick and Scott. Steiner line. Yeah, I don't know the rest of the words. It's just like Man Called Sting. Like, I know Man, man Called Sting. But then, you know, the words, it's just, yeah. I get lost. He's and a man called Sting, yeah. He does this, he does that. He's quick as a cat. And Is that what it says? Yeah, he does a lot of stuff. He's... All the kids, they think he's cool, and he's nobody's fool, like shit like that. So. Oh, that's great. 80s, that's 80s music right there. Yeah. All right. Now, Jimmy Hart shit is awesome. Jimmy right. Hart is, yeah. Okay. Sorry. We got stop, yeah. We got tracked on music. We're back on wrestling. All right. So as the horsemen come out, we get a loud horseman suck champ. They are heels. The, the crowd here, well, Washington, very pro-Raven. So yeah. they, uh, they're going to cheer for Raven. Saturn starts out with Benoit. He's still wearing his dress, as I mentioned. Saturn and Raven take turns beating Benoit. They get good teamwork from Saturn and Raven. They look pretty polished as a tag team, and they hit double-team splashes from the top turnbuckle. Raven gets thrown outside and beat up by Arn and Dean. Arn getting into the action a little bit. Benoit tags in Malenko, and they wishbone Raven. They split him in half. Charles Robinson is distracted by Malenko, so he can't make the count for Raven. Uh Uh-oh. We have a bit of... uh, Charles Robinson favoritism to his boys and the horsemen. I think we might have to do something about that. Robinson cuts off Saturn from helping out Raven. Robinson somehow can hold off Perry Saturn from interfering. Oh, yeah. No, sorry. Stay back. Yeah, Yeah, Saturn's nice and polite. Yeah, I think I'll go back to the corner. And so Benoit and Malenko double-team Raven. Saturn gets the hot tag and decks all the horsemen, including Arn. I mean, Arn didn't deserve that. Malenko gets caught in Raven's electric chair, and Saturn hits a flying cross off the top turnbuckle. Benoit takes out Raven, and Malenko puts the Texas Cloverleaf on Saturn, but Saturn crawls to the ropes. Saturn hits the DVD, the Death Valley Driver, which they called it the DVD before DVDs were really a thing, Patrick, so it's foreshadowing. He hits it on Malenko, but Benoit breaks the count with a flying headbutt. Benoit drop toe holds Saturn into a dropkick from Malenko for a two-count. Malenko locks in a sleeper to Saturn, but Raven breaks it up. Raven drop toe holds Benoit into a chair in the middle of the ring. I guess this was Raven's rules. We didn't know it, but it was no DQ. I was not aware of that. <laughs> Why would you obey the tag rules if it was Raven's rules? Exactly. So Saturn tries to jump off the top turnbuckle on Malenko through a table. 
but Arn saves Malenko. Benoit hits a diving headbutt on Raven and the chair. Ouch. And Malenko gets the three and the win in 14-11. So there you have it. The horsemen have some collusion with Charles Robinson and sneak out a win. If this was for the tag team titles, I think it would have a little more heat behind it, but... I thought it was a really good match. It's a solid match. Don't hate me, but uh, I still think the hardcore match was better. Because <laughs> the hardcore match, I just, I I don't know. I still think the hardcore match was better. Even well, though this is, on any other given night, would have been match of the night, no matter, hands down, anywhere else. President Ric Flair, remember, from January, he is the president of WCW. We didn't have our RV RV RPVP. RPVP. We didn't have RPVP. No, the VP was off tonight, but Ric Flair is the president, and somehow Scott Hall was the U.S. champion from some weeks ago. Why would you ever give this man a title belt knowing his history, you know? You know you're going to have to strip him of the belt eventually, so. Scott Hall was the U.S. champion. he, he had creative control. Yeah, but you still, you can't, you'd say, Scott, come here for a second, buddy. We know you can't have a belt. You can't have one because you just don't know. You don't, you can't stay straight. So Scott Hall gets sent to rehab. He'll never be back on WCW TV. Did he not show back up for that NWO Silver or whatever for a split second? Oh, you are right. You are right. He does resurface in NWO 2000. So he does come back. Say what you want. Well, you also watched a lot of 2000 Nitros recently when we were at WrestleMania. So you probably watched a lot of, yeah, that's true. So Scott Hall did make appearances. Side, side note on that for fans who were trying to understand what he means is I watched when I went to sleep till I fell asleep all of the uh an autoplay it just kept playing so subconsciously you even heard I watched Nitro. not the entire in 4 days the entire 2000 Nitro collection. Yeah, wonderful. In four days. It's, a, it's <laughs> so. amazing you're still psychologically <laughs> able to continue. It was rather, yes. So. so, President Ric Flair makes a U.S. title tournament, and he includes Jericho in it, even though Jericho's on his way out, which meant that Jericho got to job to everyone in the tournament. He got to job twice. He got put back in the tournament to lose again. Right. And he had to job to Steiner and Booker, and that is our finals Scott Steiner and Booker T, it's like the fight forever feud. These guys, like the last two years of WCW, it's like always Steiner and Booker. Oh, it was Hogan Savage. Put them together, there's money there. That's Steiner Booker. Booker is already the TV champion. Why would he want this belt? He's already got more money, right? Yeah, it's all about the money. Steiner. Now, he is a guy that cannot take the heat from the crowd. So Steiner comes out, he walks around the ring, and he yells at the fans. And then one lady gets... This lady stares lovingly into Scott Steiner's eyes and reaches out and gets to touch upon Scott's chest. And Scott lets her do this. And then as he's letting her do this, he stands, he stares at her man and says, She's reaching out to touch me, not you. So who's the man? And this was this woman's dream. She was loving this. Scott even gets censored, Scott Steiner, as he admonishes one of the fans for dissing his muscles. He does not like his muscles being made fun of, Patrick. Scott Steiner, okay, never mind. Scott Steiner, who showed up in, he's back in Impact Wrestling, Patrick. Doing commentary. You actually, I was just about to say that. He's in the big Borash, Josh Matthews feud, the announcer feud, which are always money draws, you know. Yeah, announcer feuds. That's awesome. Steiner hops into the crowd to insult somebody. He's still not done with the crowd. Steiner. The referee has yet to, to start the match. To start the Booker match. has just been standing, waiting. Steiner fucks with these fans for like, four minutes yeah he really does 
At this point in time, I would have gone out there after him and been like, hey, come on. like Let's get this show on the road, pal. Yeah. Steiner takes Booker's back and throws some forearms at Booker's head. Then Booker throws Steiner out of the ring and lands a clothesline from the apron before using the guardrail to attack Steiner. Booker lands a big boot and then mounts Steiner and punches him a few times. Booker then tries corner punches on Steiner before being crotched on the top rope and thrown out of the ring by Big Papa Pump. Steiner uses the chair twice on Booker in front of the ref, but is not DQ'd. Steiner then lands the kissed bicep elbow drop that he's known for, and then does his signature push-ups. Steiner assaults the ref, Patrick Young. Now, I mean, letting the chair shot go, that was one thing, but when he lays his hands on you, you gotta DQ this man. That's right. He assaults the ref by shoving him in the face, and this ref just plays along, just like, oh, okay, Mr. Steiner. That's fine. I'll let you continue wrestling. Yeah. Belly to belly on Booker for a two count. Steiner then chokes the ref. And the ref does not react to being choked by Scott Steiner. He low blows Booker T in front of the ref. No DQ. Steiner locks in a bear hug. Booker finally gets to land some offense. Hits a DDT to Steiner. Steiner levels Booker and the ref with a clothesline. Again, hits this ref again. This time the ref sells it. Booker hits the scissor kick twice, but the ref is out. Steiner wakes up and decks the ref again because Booker T revived him and Steiner is like, no, no, no. Hits him again, Patrick. Yes. This ref has a big lawsuit on his hands. Booker hits a big Alabama slam and looks for the Harlem hangover, but Steiner crotches him on the top rope. Steiner hits a top turnbuckle Frankensteiner that he nearly breaks his own neck on. Steiner should not be doing the Frankensteiner in the year 1999. (laughs) Steiner... Then uses the ref's hand, who's unconscious, to count, but only gets a two. Is that is that a league? Is that in the rule book? I can just take your hand. It's the referee's hand. So I mean, you know, technicalities. Technicalities. I'd say sure. Booker then lifts Steiner for a vertical suplex, but Steiner reaches down into the trunks, gets out what looked to be a white magic marker, and hits Booker in the face with it. And then Steiner goes out of the ring to grab Johnny Boone, the referee, who was getting consoled by Charles Robinson, and gets the three. In 1537. Uh, yeah, Booker was picking him up for a suplex, and as he picks him up, he just jabs him right in the face with it. And so, Really bad match. This this match was terrible. And, yeah, that ref needs to stand up for himself. I agree. Bullies don't exist, Booker T. I think that ref got bullied just a little bit by Scott Steiner. <laughs> I hate to say it. Booker, you were right there. You saw bullying in action. All right. Now. Now, before we go to the next match, we have to go backstage to WCW.com, where Rey Mysterio is talking to Martin. Madden about his big win Mark earlier tonight. Mark, yeah, Mark Madden. Madden, year 2000. The best is still to come with Mark Madden. <laughs> okay, as you were saying? Well, I was just going to say, we're heading to the ring for a four-month-long re-debut. This is the beginning of the new streak. Yeah. Kevin of, Nash. Of Kevin Nash taking on Bill Goldberg. Yes, it's the rematch from Starcade, the infamous cattle prod, which ended... Goldberg's victory streak. Kevin Nash, for some reason, takes Luger and Liz with him to the ring. Who also did, you know, Luger didn't work this pay-per-view. I'll just walk out to the ring, brother. Get my payday. Get my payday. Liz, Liz too. She'll just, well, I mean, that's what she always did, I guess. Then Goldberg comes out to his dubbed WWE theme. Which is odd because now they have the rights to the old WCW theme, so whatever. I didn't watch the, I watched 
my old VHS. Okay. So what's the old what's the old theme? The WWE theme. They it's the same sort of theme as the Goldberg WCW theme, but I, it's hard to explain. The WWE version of his theme song goes. It drops down instead of building up, and it's not. There's not as long of the drums at the start of it. It's just slightly different. His WWE theme was not as good as okay. His 2003 to 2004 theme that he used. Okay. Now, when he came back, which one did he use then? He used the WCW one. Well, the first night he was back in the company for the entrance, he used the WCW one. And then when he left, they used the WWE theme. The night he redebuted and challenged Lesnar. But then after that, it was all WCW. And the one in the video game, even in even if you select his WWE outfit, it uses the WCW theme. So oh, okay. they've gone back and forth with this theme song for some reason. I didn't know I think uh, the original one's a Jimmy Hart theme, and they don't like paying Jimmy Hart for his theme songs. So here we go. You better better keep Jimmy happy, then. That's all I gotta say. That's true. Well, they they keep... I mean, they still use him, so... Yeah. Kevin Nash is on the stick, as Kevin Nash would tell you, because, you know, he likes to shoot, brother. He says, hey, yo, Wolfpack is in the house. Not quite the Scott Hall buildup. No. The crowd, for whatever reason, Patrick... This had some heat from the crowd. They actually came to their feet for the start of this match. They were excited to see Bill Goldberg. So I think this company could have, yeah, I mean, could have been saved still at this point. It wasn't totally a lost cause because there were still some people that the crowd wanted to see. And we had talked about this. Beating Goldberg, I feel like, was the wrong move. Well, at that time and the way that they did it, yes. And you said in the past show that you liked my idea of, well, you got there and it was so easy for you to get there, we're just going to take the title from you. Yeah, the the authority figure could have screwed him out of the belt without him losing. And have him do it all over again. Because it's like you said, once once your gimmick is being undefeated and you're defeated, what's left? Right. And it kind of, there wasn't, there wasn't that nostalgia of him in this match, knowing, hey, he's coming back from losing for the first time. I just think it was fucked up that they did a bullshit finish like at least have it be a close match that comes down to the wire if you're if you're just gonna beat him beat him clean put the other guy over like just put him over without scott hall coming down i just didn't like all the shenanigans that at the end of the match but whatever uh nash does his boot choke to goldberg to start the match the crowd gets distracted though because someone in the crowd is having a fight which i also saw at the ufc event there were like several fights in the crowd for really reason yeah, this dude sitting right next to us. These are the not the cheap seats. These are the floor seats. This one guy got knocked the fuck out. And they had to come and police had to come and like wake him up and when he woke up, he started like fighting the police because he didn't know where the fuck he was at. Like there was this really drunk dude in a fight with another guy. Yeah. The guy the friends of the drunk guy were like, "Come on, man, let's get out of here. Let's get out of here." And um so he pulls the, they pull the drunk guy away from the guy he was actually arguing with. Yeah. And he is his shoulder hit this uh, hit the, the this other guy who was just standing there and I guess this drunk guy thought someone just shoulder checked me or whatever and knocked him the fuck out. And so there was this this guy just got caught in the crossfire for no fucking reason like got knocked knocked out cold right before the main event so as like 
the the challenger in the main event is walking out, no one's paying attention to him walking out. <laughs> so like the crowd is silent. We're all just staring at this dude on the ground, like waiting for the cops to come or whatever. So, That's funny. So the crowd here in 1999, they get distracted by a fight in the crowd. Nash Lowe blows Goldberg behind the ref's back. He's not like Scott Steiner. He he has to he cheat has to the cheat. right way. Nash hits a sidewalk slam on Goldberg. Then a shoulder tackle from Goldberg takes Nash down. Goldberg muscles Nash over for a suplex and then hits a crescent kick. Very cool sequence. Goldberg readies the spear, but Nash, he's outsmarted him. He leapfrogs Goldberg, and Goldberg spears the ref in the turnbuckle. Think about what you just said. Kevin Nash leapfrogs Goldberg. There is no way in hell his knees would allow him to do something like this now. Oh, no. Yeah. This was impressive when you really think about it. Yeah, and it also, you can tell that Nash is the booker because, you know, he's outsmarting stupid Goldberg. Yeah. Luger decides to interfere now. That's that's my spot to interfere. So he hits Goldberg with a chair while the ref is down. Nash calls for the power bomb, but Goldberg now has to resort to a low blow. Goldberg has to cheat to win now. And then grabs Nash by the dick for a minute, which was the Joey Ryan spot for a second, where Goldberg had a hand of his junk. It was very odd. This was... He was just making sure everything was all there and in working order. Luger interferes again, but Goldberg kicks him in the face for his trouble. Then he hits a spear on Nash. The ref, magically, comes back to life as Goldberg hits a shaky-looking jackhammer on Nash and gets the win in 744. This uh, this match was shit. <laughs> this was, yes, this was. was worse than a normal Goldberg match. It was probably about two minutes longer than it should have needed to be. Oh, probably four minutes longer than it needed to be. Yeah, especially if you're trying to rebuild Goldberg is a monster. Just have him come in there and mow Kevin Nash down and yeah. be back on his way. Yeah. Instead, you've got him resorting to using a low blow, Nash yeah. outsmarting him a couple of times. Yeah. So not good books. What happens when the booker's a wrestler? Yeah. And in the match. And in the match, yes. Shivani says at the end of the match, all I can say is wow. Wow is right, Tony. One thing WCW has never done well is promo packages because... They air this promo package. This is a huge main event we've got here. Yeah. Four of the biggest stars in WCW history yeah. are about to square off. And in WWF, you would get probably like a two or three minute piece with like sound from the guys and give you some background as to what's going on. Have have uh, the voiceover guy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You'd have like uh, Freddie Blassie. Blassie. <laughs> this is the match for all the ages. Yeah. You know? like yeah. Just really good shit. Yeah. WCW just was never on that level. I mean, even when WWF was shitty, like in the new gen era, like they still had better promos than WCW. This was just not something WCW oh, yeah. did. I mean, so here's what they do for this promo piece we have DDP, Hogan, Flair, and Sting. They show highlights of them individually with some music underneath with no fucking explanation about how this came to be. Like, and it's only like 20 seconds. So hope you got everything from that. Hope you know. Time for the match. Here we go. Now, you know that WCW is going downhill when Michael Buffer didn't even show up for this main event. No, Michael Buffer. David Penzer is going to introduce all the combatants. Macho Man, for some reason, they never explain why, is the special guest referee in this match. He comes out, and Patrick, he, he left his referee jersey at home. He just wore his regular wrestling tights. It's terrible. 
I know, man. Even Stone Cold occasionally put on the ref shirt. Very rarely. But Savage could have made the ref shirt look so cool, though. Oh, yeah. Ripsley, <laughs> tassels, black Tassel, and white tass- right, yeah. It almost just looks like his nor- like when he was rocking black and white, like with the yeah. NWO at first. Yeah. He's out with Gorgeous George, the champ. Oh, no. The champ is out first. Not a good sign. Ric Flair comes out in a red and gold robe, and he is in great shape here. He looks yeah. 30 years younger. Yeah. DDP is out to his dubbed theme song. Then Hogan is out to his dubbed-in Wolfpack theme, so you see Hogan playing a guitar to a rap song. So, thanks, WWE. And then Sting is out to a dubbed theme as well, because I don't think he was he was using Seek and Destroy by now. Sting and DDP start the match in the ring, as Hogan and Flair brawl on the outside. Now, these four combatants, WCW didn't do a lot of four corners matches, fatal four ways, triple third, not, not like every WWE pay-per-view now has one of these matches in it, it seems yeah. like. But back in this day, and especially in WCW, this is very new to these wrestlers. Yeah. They st- they didn't know how to quite book it correctly to have everybody. They never would have, like, three guys in the ring. They would always have two, and then the other, the other two would just walk around and brawl. But not, like, WWE and Triple Threat and four-way matches now, one guy gets annihilated and is unconscious. And that's the explanation. Yeah. And then the other... Two or three fight in the ring, but you see what I'm saying. Sting hits a stinger splash on DDP. He's already getting to his good shit right off the bat. But Flair makes the save because whoever gets pinned, Flair will lose the title. Hogan and Flair come back into the ring and brawl with DDP and Sting. Sting throws Flair off the turnbuckle in his traditional I can't hit a move off the top turnbuckle spot. Hogan and Flair now stay in the ring while DDP and Sting brawl on the outside. Hogan uses his weight belt on Flair, of course. DQ. No DQ in this match, though. Even though there was rope breaks, but no, there wasn't. There was Macho Man counts the men when they're all down in the ring. He starts ten counts in this yeah. match. What would he have done if he hit ten? The title's vacant, and one man wasn't even in the ring when he did this. So technically, anyway, it I'll, would have been. It would have been. I don't know what he was thinking really. <laughs> and the way he counts, by the way, is something to behold. Oh yeah, Flair does an awesome. Walk forward and fall on your face bump from Hogan punches. Like, he takes three steps forward and then falls directly on his face. Beautiful stuff. I forgive it with him. Like, if you tried that shit now and you weren't Ric Flair, I'd be like, what the fuck are you doing? But he is awesome at this. Hogan hulks up on Flair, brother. While Sting has dragged DDP back into the ring and is going for a Scorpion Deathlock, while Hogan hits the leg drop on Flair, who will... Win this match first. After Hogan hit the leg drop, Sting broke it up. So Sting makes a save. Flair decides to work Hogan's knee with a chop block and a few kicks, and then he locks in the figure four while Sting and DDP brawl back on the outside. DDP breaks up the figure four, saves Hogan, and then dumps Flair over the top rope. DDP, I was just talking to you about this move the other day. DDP locks in the old turnbuckle figure four on Hulk Hogan. I did not know DDP was capable of doing Bret Hart's turnbuckle figure four, but he did it. I Other than Bret Hart, I had never Sean. seen anybody else. Well, yeah, Sean. Other than those two, I had never seen anybody else do it. Kudos, DDP. Trying this was, some new this stuff. was very impressive. Sting breaks it up and throws DDP into the steps. Trainer Danny Young makes a cameo, comes out to Hogan's aid. Hogan, always got to make it about yourself, man. Hogan sells a knee injury and is walked back to the back. Hogan can't even job when he doesn't job. It's strictly ego. And he doesn't want to work. And yeah. I could just work half this match and go home for the night and still make the same amount of money. Yeah. So Hogan gets helped to the back. Eric Bischoff, who was a commentator on Thunder at this time, 
even breaks character to come out and check on his old buddy Hulk Hogan. The Hulkster would get help to the back and would be off TV until he reappeared with the red and the yellow, brother. Turn back face after this. Do you think that was a way to just kind of... You think he really was hurt, or do you think it was a way to kind of take him off TV? Yeah, it was a way to... Brother, I can't just go missing for two months when I take vacation. I gotta have a storyline, brother. I got hurt. I got hurt. I thought my days of wrestling were over, but the red and the black of the power of the Hulkamaniacs got me back into the ring, brother. So, yeah. But even this, like, dude, just fucking finish the match. Yeah. I'm with you. Whatever. We go back to the ring where DDP does what I would do in one of these matches and just rests in the turnbuckle. He says, (laughs) you guys fight. Beautiful. So Sting and Flair just, they continue their fight forever feud. These guys, this is a feud that never ends. This will continue into the afterlife. Sting and Flair? Yeah, Sting and Flair forever. Sting no-sells some Flair chops and hulks up before DDP clotheslines him and gets a two count. Flair gets back into the ring and DDP takes him out with a clothesline. Stinger splashes to DDP, and DDP looks for a diamond cutter, but Sting escapes. Sting tries a tombstone, but DDP reverses it into one of his own and gets two before Flair breaks it up. Sting superplexes Flair. Flair puts Sting in a sleeper, then DDP puts Flair in a sleeper, so we have a double sleep applied in the middle of the ring before Sting breaks it up with a, I guess, a double jawbreaker. Savage. What do you do? Check both arms? On both people? What if they had both went to sleep? Yeah. Good point. Macho Man was faced with several (laughs) referee questions. So they're all down from this double sleeper spot. And Savage starts counting all the downed opponents. And he does it by crossing his arms and doing a Macho Man pose. Oh, yeah. One. And and he's going super fast. He's like one. He's counting legit. Like he's one, two, three. These guys have to scramble to get to their feet. And also, yeah, what happens if he got to ten? I really don't. I would love to have been the guys like playing a trick on Macho and just been like, we're not getting up. Fuck it. Yeah. Sting then gets up, hits a double clothesline on DDP and Flair, and is in command with strikes. Another stinger splash to Flair. Flair winds up in the Scorpion Deathlock, but DDP breaks it up. DDP looks for a vertical suplex, but Sting hits a Scorpion Death Drop on him, and Flair breaks the cover, and then low blows Sting. So Flair puts Sting in the figure four. Sting, he refuses to quit. He reverses the pressure, but Flair rolls through, and then Sting gets to the ropes. But then Savage kicks his hand. So he could there could be a double a triple count out, but there can't be rope breaks. No rope breaks. Okay. This is a very odd set of rules here. Savage kicks Flair's hand and drags Sting and Flair, still in the figure four, to the center of the ring. Savage decides to go up top. Crowd comes to their feet because they are so psyched to see Macho Man doing something. <laughs> he hits the big elbow drop. To Flair. Who has the, the figure fi- four on Sting. Yes. And it gets the biggest reaction of the night by yeah. far. Yeah. This one Savage did fucking nothing. And the <laughs> one he he instantly was the most over person on this entire card by yeah. doing a beautiful but he w- w- was perfect. Yeah. Like and he Yeah. So okay. Savage has turned on Flair for some reason. Macho man, after doing this, he's proud of himself, and so he goes and poses on the turnbuckle by lounging, throws his feet up over the uh, ropes and lounges in the corner. But then he's like, Oh, all the guys are down. I better start counting again. He does that weird count again. Yeah. And almost and actually does make it to ten. Like DDP is not all the way up and he has made it the crowd counts to ten. Like we could go back to the tape and strip DDP of this title belt. DDP stomps Sting and then hits the diamond cutter on Flair and wins his first world title in seventeen twenty seven. Yeah. And you know how you celebrate this this is this man's dream. 
come true. Yeah. This is also something WCW never knew how to fucking do. Oh, yeah. And that is capture the fucking moment. Yeah. And let it breathe. Yeah. DDP started wrestling in his mid-30s. This is his career dream. He just beat the, the, the greatest of all time in the middle of the ring. DDP gets to celebrate by grabbing the belt, posing in the top turnbuckle. Then immediately they cut away from him. And he disappears. I think he goes into the crowd to celebrate. Yeah. But this fucking WCW camera crew instead focuses on Flair and Sting crawling away from the ring. And we don't see DDP again. Yeah. In fact, they have to show a replay of the two seconds he did posing in the turnbuckle. We get two seconds of that, then bye. See you at Slamboree. We give WWE shit for some of the stuff they do camera-wise. and Oh, these fan cutaways lately. Yeah, yeah oh, these man. fan cutaways. But at least they know how to capture moments. and Yeah, they fucked this up they big time. Major. This was, it's almost as bad as Bobby Eaton winning the U.S. title, and we're not seeing it. I mean, like, it's it's just bad. It was, it was bad. It was bad. And also, I, I think giving him this belt in 99 was probably about a year too late. Yeah. I mean, he should have been champion in 98 at the high point. He should have beaten Hogan and should have ended the NWO. After his feud with Savage, it should have worked its way up and culminated into a title match. Yeah, on, on my own free time, I'm watching a bunch of 97 stuff. I'm working my way through the 97 Nitros. And Spring Stampede 97 is when he beat Macho Man. So this is like on the anniversary of that, too. They mentioned they didn't mention that at all. They didn't yeah. mention any of that history. But then uh, the... Great American Bash 97 was also headlined by DDP. So this guy's already headlining pay-per-views for him, yeah. for the company. DDP and Savage, both of those. Yeah. They, you know, yeah. And Hogan is just nowhere to be found, and he's the champion. So they really fucked around with giving this guy the belt. And by the time they did it, it's too late. Yeah. You've just missed. And then the moment happens, and it's over. And yeah. you didn't even blink and you missed that this even happened yeah this prestigious title reign of ddp's remember this is the culmination of his you know life's work lasted 15 days he lost it on an episode of nitro to sting won it back at the end of the night then lost it two weeks later guess who he lost it to patrick kevin nash oh that's bullshit ddp wouldn't get the the belt back until a year later april 24th 2000 when ready for ready to rumble. Yes, and he would have it for a grand total of one day before losing it to David Arquette. Yes! In a tag match. Did you see my post, actually? Yes, I did, I did On see Facebook, that, yeah. yes. We just passed that anniversary this past week. We did. I, I posted a picture of David Arquette with the uh, world title, and on this day, 17 years ago... David Arquette won the World Heavyweight title. So. so DDP, that was his final reign as WCW champion, ended by his buddy at the David time, Arquette. David Arquette. DDP held the world title for a grand total of 29 days. 29 days as world champ. Split between three reigns. That's impressive. Yeah. Seeing as how, you know, Ric Flair held it for years. <laughs> yeah, Hogan held it from 94 until 96 for 469 days. And that's just one rain. That is just one rain. <laughs> oh, damn. Then he held it again from 96 until 97 
for 359 days, Patrick. So, yeah. Overall, what did you think of this match? Oh, the match is great. Love the match. It was okay. Uh, you know, it, these guys aren't accustomed to a four-way match. It's not match of the night. Match of the no. night is going to be the hardcore match. I don't think so, but that's your opinion, and you're entitled <laughs> to it. Yeah, I thought the main event, uh, if it had some, some heat on it, it would have been awesome. If oh, yeah. we got the big celebration at the end, it would have been awesome. There were ways to save it. Yeah. But this company would just Piss be damned. Piss it away just like nothing. Yeah. yeah. Logic be damned, my friend. This card overall. Ooh, sorry, man. Sorry, I keep picking these bad ones. I keep torturing you with bad cards. Sorry. Uh, ooh, man. Scotty Riggs in the middle of this thing. <laughs> and then, oh, I mean. You had uh, Conan I mean, and Disco. Yeah. You started off with Blitzkrieg and Hoovy. Then you go to the, which was not bad. I mean, yeah. you go to the high point of the hardcore match. And then you just get you a bunch of. You start dropping with Scotty Riggs, Mikey Whipwreck. You keep dropping with Conan Disco. You start to kind of level off with Kidman Mysterio. Then you hit Benoit Malenko. And then Steiner takes it right back down. Raven and Saturn, you're like, okay, this could be saved. Then Steiner and Booker T go right back down to the shitter. And as you're going, you hit Goldberg Nash. You're like, oh, okay, this is going to be... And it didn't really do jack shit. And then you hit the main event, and the main event was great. So, it was okay. Yeah. It was... I, I thought it was very well done. I think it's an easy watch. It's not yeah. good, though. No. It's not good at all. So, Patrick. Patrick Young, on our scale of Hornswoggle to El Gigante, where do you rate? Spring Stampede, 1999. I'm going to give it a Macho Man Randy Savage. I am going to go down that same theme and give it a Gorgeous George. His version of Gorgeous George, not the actual Gorgeous George. Not the wrestler Gorgeous George. Right, the the valet valet Gorgeous George. Yes. So So that is your official Spring Stampede 1999 review. So congratulations. Thank you. Sorry for making you suffer through that. It's all right. Patrick and our fans. Let me just update the payback card for our listeners because it is almost over. The main event is on. Bray Wyatt defeated Randy Orton in the House of Horrors match. So we I'm, were, we I'm were both still right. going to go home and see what a House of Horrors match really is. I'm curious. It was 1710, including the pre tape. So <laughs> we were both right. Alexa Bliss defeated uh, Bailey. Okay. So if you wrestle in your hometown, you're going to fuck up. You're going to fuck up. Yeah. Hardy Boys retained. And Seth Rollins. Ooh, first match out, Samoa Joe gets defeated by Seth Rollins. So. Oh, I was right. You were. Congratulations. So it depends on how this main event goes, but we you will have won the night. So There we go. Because we tied on most everything else. So. Yeah. So, Patrick Young. All right. We went to 1999. Where will we be going next? We're going to go a little bit ahead. You see, we're going to go from 1999 to 2005. 2005. 2005. Not that long. Not that retro, really. Not that retro, but close enough. Yeah, it's old. Close enough. Has historical value. Seen as how we just witnessed a man get hit with a garbage can. Jump off of a stagecoach, a salad bowl, a table, a ladder, just all of this plunder. So I'm going to go back to when it plunder was looking like it was going to turn out to be a great thing. Once again, 
in June 11th, 2005. Plunder begins again. Plunder begins again. June 11th, 2005. The very first ECW's One Night Stand. There you go. A very good. I can. I, I mean, I've seen this show several times, so it, I know that it it's going to do very well on our scoring scale. So there you go. It appears as if Braun Strowman has defeated Roman Reigns. So Braun Strowman defeats Roman Reigns. Congratulations. Thank you very much. The direction that's rumored to be them to be going in is Braun and Brock. So. Uh, you would want your you would want Braun to look strong. I mean, it's, right. especially if your long term booking plan is Reigns and Brock at WrestleMania. So you've got to give Brock something to do in the meantime, and you've got to give Reigns something to do in the meantime. I definitely see a Shield reunion coming very soon. Do you? Yes, uh, I think that's how we're going to spend SummerSlam is with a Shield reunion. Did you hear what they named their July pay per view? The Raw brand pay per view. What? You're going to love this. WWE. Great Balls of Fire. Wow. That is one of the worst pay-per-view names I've ever heard of. Although, ECW One Night Stand is perfect. Although Jerry Lee Lewis made it one of the greatest rock and roll songs of all time. Yeah, but it's not. It's different. Don't use that. It's 2017. It's a, how, how the hell is it different? It's the exact same name brand of a song I'm not saying Payback is a great name, but Payback is a lot better than... Oh, Great I agree. Balls of fire. I agree. It's, it's shit. I mean, but I think payback is shit too. I think yeah. Roadblock, fast lane. Everything's geared towards cars. What's yeah. with these motorheads? And all their all their theme songs like Motorhead. Seth Rollins, Motorhead. Yeah, <laughs> go. good one. Okay, well, that'll do it for this edition of the Retro Wrestling Podcast. We came, we saw, we won the world title, and no one noticed. Yeah. So there you have it. Uh, Stay tuned for next week. Yeah, next week, One Night Stand, a good show. So there really won't be much to say about it. Because we'll just be like, ah, this was really good. All right, next match. This one's really good, too. All right. I think we'll have a lot to say about it, actually. Well, I wish that we had the version with JBL's drunk commentary on it, but we don't have that version. So Where is that version at? It's on the DVD. It's an extra on the DVD. Oh, okay. Remember when WWF showed up in the rafters halfway through? And from then on, you get his special commentary while he was extremely drunk. So he's like saying, he's like calling Rey Mysterio like his butler. He's like, that guy's my little Mexican's my butler and stuff like that. Oh, so okay. It's lovely, lovely work. Yeah. He's actually better on commentary drunk than he is sober. So. so there you have it as we go into Raw Talk, which I will not be watching, but... There you go. Uh, for you got anything else? I'm good, man. All right. Well, I'm intern Alex. I'm the one and only, the greatest referee in professional wrestling history, Patrick Young. Saying, as always, my closing line's a clothesline. And bingo, bingo. We'll see you next week. You know, Dusty wasn't just my mentor. He could be my big brother, and sometimes he could be my dad. You got to picture this. Like, he would let me vent when my career wasn't going anywhere. He would let me vent. He would sit and listen. Except for one night, I took it too far. One night, I took it too far, and I was like, yo, Dream, you know, they're never going to give me an opportunity, and I know I'm never going to be you or Hulk or Rick. I know I'm never going to be the world champion, but they won't get me. Bang! He rakes my eyes. That is enough. I never had him yell at me like it took me back. He goes, what did you just say?
Now I feel kind of stupid. I said, well, Dream, I know I'm never going to be you, you know, or Hulk, or Rick. I mean, and he goes, no, no, D. What did you say after that? I said, well, I'm never going to be the world champion, doesn't he? Went, then what the hell are you doing it for? Dallas. If you don't believe, as hard as you work, if you don't believe that you have the ability to be the world champion, then you need to get the hell out of the business right now. And I swear to God, I felt like he came through the phone and just slapped me in the face. I don't remember what he said after that, but I remembered exactly what I did. There was a pad right next to our phone. And I pulled it over. And as Dusty was talking, I wrote, I will be the world champion in five years. If you got a goal, if you got a passion, a want, a desire, just don't think it. Ink it. Own it. I said I was going to be the world champion in five years. It was four months, four days. And for four months, four years, four months, and 14 days till I stepped into the ring with three of the biggest icons ever. The Stinger, the Hulkster, and the Nature Boy. I want to thank you, Ric Flair. Thank you. Thank you, Rick, for changing my life that night and moving me one step closer to this podium. Because nature, I will never forget it, man. And I am truly thankful. When the guest referee, Randy Savage, handed me that world title, an inner peace came over me that I can't put into words. Einstein once said, it's not that I'm so smart. I just stick with the problem longer. But who'd Einstein ever be? <laughs> the next day, Kim and I were going to Spokane. The phone rang. I picked it up before I could hear her say a word. I heard his voice. D, how did it feel? I said, dream. It feels real. It feels real. And he said, that's because it is.